Steel Toes and Scoreboards podcast. Like us on Steel Facebook and Twitter. And hey, Kurt, you want a hot like take? Yeah. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a great huge drug Bill Beer would have made Shaq piss himself. Fun fact, Kurt. I love Keith Dad's good research, bro. Word Association. Greatest of all time. Tell me how you really feel about pro sports. These contracts are out of control. Some people might not like that. Well, I'm going to pitch a big world. I mean, you sure will. You're the baseball guru, though, man. Shout out to my coach, Joe Rodriguer. Well, it is a digital world these days. Yeah, I'm an Tiger Woods. Mount Rushmore, bro. Coach Bobby Knight. I you missing him, no doubt. Times have changed. But for the better of the world. Times have changed. No, that's, that's arguable. I'll tell you right now, though. I'm, uh, it's, that's arguable. Modern age, I'm not drug testing for pot anymore in any sport. It's a damn plant. Fire is suspended, guys, for weed. Ridiculous. I'm a fountain of useless pro wrestling. Sure bet. Sure bet. Sound like Adam Sweet. Sure bet. He was a role model for millions. Rest in peace, Mamba. Team Ali. Team Tyson. You know what? Fuck it. You're baseball's new commissioner. I don't want that job. You're baseball's new commissioner. Oh, shit. Come on, bro. Magic vs. Burst. What a rivalry. Okay. Okay. Boots ratings. Asses in the seat. You know what? Hot take. Tap the mic. He's the best I've ever seen. Nobody compares to him. He's the best I've ever seen. All right, guys. Another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards coming to you now. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Jared Atkins alongside my co-host, Kurt Kelly. Kurt, what's up? Good evening, bro. <laughs> we were cracking up listening to our re-recorded intro we done after the episode two weeks ago. It's swear it sounds like you say deep sluts instead of deep stats. <laughs> Sorry, not safe for work language, but it sounds like he when says... When I was reading it there, I had to take a second look at it because I thought this is what it said. I was all... We were oh god, we were cackling listening to this shit. Oh funny. I'm an analog man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have fun with you. Right on, bro. So how you doing, man? I'm doing doing okay. We survived a hellacious week at work this past week, didn't we? Hot. Had to swamp butt hot. Had to swamp butt every day. Gold bond. Gold bond on supply. Whew. I'm not supposed to say this, but Kirk come up to me the other day. Goes, you got any gold bond on your desk? <laughs> got some gold bond on the bottom shelf underneath my desk. <laughs> he said, I might need some of that later. I said, it's no mess powder spray. Perfect for concealing so you don't have everybody right, knowing you got right. swampy butt walking oh, in the bathroom. Oh, man, it was hot, dude. It was terrible. If you wasn't in front of a fan. Oh, I was in front of your fan. Miserable. I mean, I was, I was working. He, he, I, I was working, I promise. Even though it was blowing hot air. That's all I was at doing. Least, at least it was some air, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, I didn't really post on our Facebook page, but we uh, we got a little change of plans. Yep. We were originally supposed to talk about why there's no dynasties in college basketball anymore. And then uh, we got to thinking, it ain't college basketball season. No, I really? came up to you, and uh, this is how it went. I came up to Kurt. Two days after we recorded the uh, the episode, Tyson versus Ali, and I said, 
I don't really want to do college basketball right now. Which, I mean, I'll talk sports anytime about anything. Right. But he said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do baseball. And Kurt said, okay, well, let's cover another World Series. I said, okay, sure bet. And he said, but you got to pick it. I said, I got to pick it. <laughs> so then I rattled off like four or five World Series suggestions. And he left. We left that day thinking yeah. we were going to talk about the Cardinals Rangers in 2011, which is, in my mind, and a lot of people's mind, one of the top ten World Series of all time. Great World Series, yeah. David Freeze. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pujols last year with the Cardinals, I do believe, was that season, wasn't it? it That was before the big deal. But uh, we ended up changing. And we got a treat for you guys. I call this the... uh, I call this the greatest World Series that people never talk about. (laughs) Damn good series. Uh, Well... And I blew your mind because I showed you some stuff. This, if you if you Google, if you hop on your Google machines, and you Google top ten World Series, top twenty five World Series of all time, this one ninety percent of the time is in the top three, sometimes top five, but it's mainly a top three World Series, and it's fairly recent. Uh, yeah, and you gotta wonder how is it forgotten? You know? it, it, we're coming up on the thirtieth anniversary of yep, it. Yep. Uh, the 1991 World Series, Minnesota Twins versus the Atlanta Braves. Braves. And uh, after I started talking to Kurt on it a little bit about it at work, when I started doing the research, Kurt's like, this was a damn good World Series. <laughs> this one not a lot of people think about. Yeah, it, it, it surprises me. I don't... But uh, So we're going to talk a little baseball tonight, which uh, I like. before we get into it, we were just talking about this when I got here to your thriving metropolis out here, your mansion and... <laughs> Alfordsville. Uh, I had to work Thursday night at the grocery store after we left the factory, which, by the way, our boss said, you can go home at 2 o'clock, and I said, sure bet. I went straight. <laughs> I clocked in two and a half hours early at the grocery store because at least it's fucking air conditioning in there. Right, right, right. It was that hot, folks. But, yeah, it was miserable in the factory all week. But uh, Thursday night, the Yankees played the Chicago White Sox, the Field of Dreams. Dreams uh... Kevin Costner did the opening for that yes. and i i watched it i sent you the clip yep yep i watched it i missed the game because i, I had to work it. all i seen was the ninth inning i just seen the ninth inning but uh but i sent you the clip of the yep, kevin costner yep, opening yep. you how cool was that uh that might help put asses back in seats <laughs> there's a there's a lot of great baseball movies but to me field of dreams is always going to be number one and then i'm going to put believe it or not and I don't know how alone in this I am. I'm always going to put Sandlot at number two. Because I was great, a kid growing up great, watching the Sandlot. Great show. Just pull it in. <laughs> Wendy, Wendy Peppercorn. Peppercorn, yes. Wendy Peppercorn. Swint. Swint. I kissed Wendy Peppercorn. <laughs> yeah, great show. Great, great show. show. Yeah. I, Baseball is uh, uh, always going to be my first natural. love. The Natural was a good. Robert Redford. Robert Redford. That's good show. That was a good show. I like Kevin Costner, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, honestly, a lot of people don't know this. Kevin Costner is not a bad country music singer and songwriter uh, as well. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, son. Did not know that. Huh. But we're not talking Kevin Costner today. We're going to talk the 1991 World Series. The Twinkies and the Atlanta Chop. Atlanta Chop. So before we get into this, you know, plug a unofficial official sponsor. And just because, you know, bow season's coming up soon. Soon. And gun season. 
uh, and I love these guys. Uh, Deer 30 Mineral, check them out on Facebook. This is serious, hardcore nutrition for your herd and uh, guaranteed to increase the impressiveness, if I can use that word or lack of word, of your trophy case. I don't know a man that doesn't like a bigger rack. Yeah, that's right. Interpret that how you will. Uh, I was I got on their website again tonight because right here in the computer, I usually, as you see, I don't have my format in front of us tonight. Yeah. So I was trying something different. I started putting the format in the notes so I don't have to keep glancing. There you go. Yeah. But uh, I was looking on their website, and uh, once again, they got a, they got a, a bunch of products. The one I harp on is the clock stopper. That's for serious serious bone mass growth here uh but anyways uh it's a little company down in madisonville kentucky which ain't too far madisonville ain't that far outside no. of henderson so uh give them a call at 270-339-7731 send them a message on facebook uh check them out on the website email them at deer30mineral.com uh they do have samples they send out to some people they keep telling me they're going to send out samples which like I always say, I ain't been in the woods in probably five years. I've got too fat and lazy, but I'm, I'm slimming down more and more every week, bro. If you can yeah, see me compared yeah. to a year and a half ago, uh, it, I can see it. Yeah, so uh, I might get back out there. They were supposed to send me samples, and uh, I mean, if I get them, I might use them next year or give them to somebody. But uh, anyways, for all you avid hunting enthusiasts, heck, you could put some right in your backyard there. You, I could. You've been there a million times. But all right, son, you ready to get into yeah, it? Let's go. Let's go. 1991 World Series featured the AL champion Minnesota Twins beating the NL champion Atlanta Braves in seven games. I was four years old. Uh, you know, I was too really too young to know much about baseball. At four, I could see people throw. Uh, what? But as true sports fans, things that happened before your time, you you read about it in history and you watch yeah. clips and. Yeah. Uh, Growing up throughout the years, I've come to realize how big and important the 91 World Series was. And going back to what I said a minute ago, get in your Google machines and seriously, go look for the top 10 World Series of all time, the top 25. Nine times out of 10, this one's top three. And if it's not top three, it's in the top 10. Uh, Uh, And as I I talked about in our first World Series episode, uh, month and a half ago the 85 world series great world series um but they ranked yeah it ranked up i will i will get to the ranking later but what I, what i was i was going to briefly touch on this you know after the 2020 world series espn.com and their staff did the article where they ranked it and i'll have the ranking at the end of the notes but all i'm going to say here is that this particular world series came in second place it was only bested by the 75 World Series between the Cincinnati Reds and the Boston Red Sox. Boston Red Sox. Uh, and, you know, plus, I kind of want to, we're two, what, two months away from the 30th anniversary of this? Yeah. So, uh, so we're going to break it down. Uh, but break it down. Break it down. I want to, uh, I want, I want to point this out to you. You might think this is, I don't know if it's a fun fact or a funny fact. I like any kind of fact. Fun fact or a funny fact. Did I see if I? Hey, I got, I got the I got the sound pad set up the right direction this time. Uh, a year prior in the 1990 Major League Baseball season, the Twins and the Braves both finished dead last in their respective leagues. Think about that a minute. You know, the two worst teams in baseball the year before 
contended for the world championship the next year. That's quite the turnaround. That's quick turnaround. And according to my research, and you like deep slow, nope. I mean deep stats. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not safe for work, but I swear, when I wrote when we wrote the script for the show opening, it looked like deep sluts instead of deep stats. My penmanship is atrocious, ladies and gentlemen. I had to take a double take. It did. It looked like. I can't believe that's, I said, that's why it's a little pause there before I, I start in on it. I can't that. believe I said deep sluts on air, but it's it looked anyways. Yeah, yeah. Oh well. But before both World Series teams went from last to first in ninety one, the last team to accomplish this was the eighteen ninety Louisville Colonels in the old double A league days. Wow. The Colonels. The Louisville Colonels. Colonels. Colonel Sanders? Tech fried chicken, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Huh. So uh I love baseball, bro. I do, too. I mean, college basketball. I love all sports, but I was just – because I didn't really know how to research that while there's no dynasty in college basketball yet. So, And it's not basketball season. No, it is baseball season. It is baseball season. And I was – damn it, I was like, I had a lot of fun doing the 85 World Series. Let's do another one. And I didn't realize when when we left work that day two weeks ago, I was dead set it was going to come down to the 2011 – Rangers Cardinals, or it might have been '88, but the only reason I ever think about '88, I mean, it's your Dodgers, you bleed oh, yeah. Dodger blue. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the year after I was born. But Kirk Gibson's home run, oh, wow. which I believe I ranked in the top five greatest sports moments in the worst episode we've ever done. <laughs> it totally changed it, the whole complexion of that. That's series. the only game. That's the only time he batted that entire yep. World Series. Yep. All right. Anyways, we talk about this shit all night long. I need to get get us going here. So let's start breaking it down a little bit uh, before we get to the meat and taters. Little backs, the AL champion twins. This was in '91, the year they won. This was the second world championship they'd won since moving to Minnesota in '61. Do you know what year they won? '87. That was the year I was born, 1987. They beat the. They beat the. I don't know. Cardinals. No. You know. You're gonna you're gonna be mad about this. Uh, probably. I didn't even look at who they beat in '87. Think, <laughs> I'm thinking it was the Cardinals. I, I, well, I mean it's it's our show. Why don't I just my Google's faster than your Google? Probably. So <laughs> I mean, Kurt wants it done right, so we're gonna look. Well, I mean, I, I'm just kind of curious. I, I, I'm thinking it was. The, it was the Cardinals. Was it? Yep. And it was seven games. Six, Six games. Four to three. No, seven, seven games. games. Yep. yep. So uh, during the '91 regular season, the Twins at the at a t- well, the Twins at one point in time had an MLB lead 15 game win streak, which to this day remains a club record, uh, as far as my knowledge. And again, uh, I need to start prefacing this in every episode. Uh, to the best of me and Kurt's knowledge, right. everything we put in here that's not opinion based is facts right to the best of our knowledge that if something is wrong then you know we apologize but i can only do what the internet the research the internet gives right, me right and the internet gives me notes it gives me video game tapes so yeah it's gonna be pretty much yeah. right on i mean on june 18th 1991 though the 15 game win streak came to the hands at came to an end at the hands of the baltimore Orioles. uh boy i fucked that word all up <laughs> 
but not before the Twins moved from fifth place in the division until first, a lead they would not relinquish until they won the World Series. The Twins' winning streak of 91 falls just seven games short of the all-time AL record of 22 consecutive wins set by the Cleveland Indians in 2017. I'm sorry. Look, I'm not racist. Kurt's not. I say things sometimes that comes off as ignorant and immature. It's a fucking name yeah. to me. Um, I always said the Indians. I sat right here in your kitchen, I don't know how many weeks ago, what episode we was doing, when I said that the Cleveland Indians would never change their name. We was, we was going off on a tangent right, about right, Washington right. National. And now they're going to become the Cleveland Guardians, which, by the way, the Guardians, from my research, is a it's a certain bridge in Cleveland where they've got these traffic guardians, these big ass. Yeah. It does look cool as shit, yeah. so I'll, I'll give it a pass. But, but just not... if the Chicago Blackhawks change their name in the NHL, I'm done. I'm just done. Dumb sports. What about the Atlanta Braves? They ain't gonna change their name. Why well, would hope they've not. got the greatest like chant thing in baseball? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. greatest chant. Like and and it, it transcends whole, more than just whole, baseball. It's all sports the they whole, do it. Yeah, the whole crowd's got their arms chopping they're, in. They're doing it in a football game. The Chiefs, the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs do it too. They're it started with the Braves, I thought. I don't know, I could be wrong. But uh anyways, the twins finished ninety five and sixty seven that year, first in the AL West, which rep which Represented a turnaround from 1990 when they finished last in the division, 74 and 88. They were the first team to go from last in place to a World Series championship since the, you know, the Colonels I just talked about. Right. Uh, them and the Atlanta Braves were the first team to go from last place to a pennant. And then, of course, which as we're going to get to, they uh, Twins defeat the Braves in seven games in a series which has been considered to be one of the top three World Series ever played. So how we kind of got there, there was a huge changing of the guard, a reshaping, a clean out of the front office and the roster in January February 1991, beginning when third baseman Gary Getty left as a free agent and signed with the Angels. Less than 12 hours after his departure, they signed free agent Mike Pagulero. Pagulero from the Yankees. And what position did he play? Third base. Third base. That, One of the more underrated third, third basemen base in, in baseball history. Um, two more key free agent signings followed in the coming weeks with uh, designated hitter hit, uh, designated hitter Chili Billy Davis. We talked about him at length earlier. Oh, yeah. uh, Chili Davis signed on January 30th, and St. Paul. Minnesota native Jack Morris signed on February 5th. And the going back in time a little bit, in July 1989, a blockbuster trade sent the 88 AL Cy Young Award winner Frank Viola. Viola. There you go. Look yep. at the big brain on Kurt. Frank Viola to the Mets in exchange for relief pitchers David West, Rick Aguilera, Aguilera and starter Kevin Tapiani. Tapiani. Yeah. I call him Tapiani. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and that proved to be <laughs> uh, a, a, a big part of the 81. And, and what do we always say? What gets me excited and you excited? Good pitching. Good pitching, yes. Uh, hell of a rotation. Uh, at the time, there were only seven players still on the roster from the 87 World Series. None of them were pitchers, uh, they were 
It was Randy Bush, Greg Gagne, Dan Gladden, Kent. Herbick. Gene Larkin. Uh, yeah. Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett. By the way, me and Kurt talk sports at work all day long. That's kind of how we decided to come up with the podcast. Kurt, tell everybody who one of my favorite players as a kid was. Uh, Kirby Puckett. Who was my baseball mitt when I was a little Kirby leaguer? Puckett. Kirby Puckett. God, I love Kirby Puckett. Oh, dude, he could rake. Oh, I forgot. We we skipped over uh, Al Newman. I forgot about okay. him. He was he was still up. Uh, but so they had a good solid foundation. Guys coming in, young stars were started to to blossom. Uh, Shane Mack in right field, Scott yeah. Erickson, who was a twenty game winner with a twelve game win streak, AL Rookie of the Year, second baseman Chuck Knoblock. Knoblock. They estimated that in nineteen ninety one, Twins baseball was so good over tw- over. Two and a quarter, almost two and a half million fans attended Twins home games that season. Uh, they moved aggressively in free agency prior to the 91 season. Like I said, they signed Chili Davis. And uh, Chili rewarded them at the time with a 3.8 or a 3, .385 on base percentage, 29 home runs, 93 RBIs. Can't win if you don't have an RBI. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I know some people actually have the nerve to say RBIs are useless stats, not me. No. If you're a baseball purist, uh, no. Geez. But you know what I'm talking about. Some people yes. think that's a useless yeah, stat. Yes. It is not. That's a very important stat. But to me, because this is my and Kurt's show, and me and Kurt are more pitchers than we are batters. Defensive pitchers, yeah, for sure. To me, their biggest free agent splash was Morris coming on. Uh, who, by the way, do you, do you do you know what team Morris was an ace on before he got uh, Tigers? Detroit, Detroit Tigers. Detroit Tigers. Yeah, he won a, he won a championship there. Nineteen eighty four, I do believe. Eighty four. Oh, that's right there. Eighty four. Yeah, Kirk Gibson was on that team too. Uh, Dale Evans. He had a reputation as a big game pitcher. Yeah. Um, Nasty fork ball. His main attribute in the regular season was that he was a workhorse. 35 starts, 18-12 record. ERA was 3.43. Uh, to me, and I've always, and I've always that, said this to you, if, if your ERA is under five, what, yeah, and I think it's pretty good. Especially being in the American League with the designated hitter. That, yeah. There wasn't that guaranteed out in the lineup. We are going to do an episode on DHs at some point because me and you talk about this personally I off mean, the mic at work. Should there be a DH or not? Because the AL is the only league that uses the DH. I know where I vote, but well, tell tell the listeners where are you vote. No DH. No DH. No DH. Pitchers you bat. You if if you play the field, you bat. So, I mean that that's the way. You know they, why? To why I think they're still in a DH. Because you can put a home run slugger in there. People yeah, like to see right. the long ball. They do. Right. People don't like defensive battles right. in football. They don't like defensive battles in right. baseball. It's boring, you see. Yeah, boring. Yeah. To me, I get excited. There's a lot of things going on in a one nothing game. That's right. But anyway, you know, his ERA was 3.43. And to me, that's I've always bad. said, if your ERA is five or under. That's pretty solid. For that's a good day at the office. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, anyways, Kevin Tapiani and Scott Erickson were a little bit better, though. That's the funny part. Tapiani won 16 games with a 299 ERA. Erickson was a 20 game winner with a 318 ERA. Uh, one of the best uh, 12 to 6 curveballs I've ever seen. <coughs> Pretty good curveball. What is, 
If you had to pick one, what is your favorite pitch? My favorite pitch? Yeah. Fastball. Just a two-seam fastball? Two-seam. Well, four-seam or two-seam. You know, the two-seam, you get a little sinking and tailing action on it. But then, right, the four-seam, they say, actually might even rise a little bit. I don't now, what's your favorite showboat pitch? Showboat pitch? Yeah. Screwball. I like a curveball. That's my that's my go-to pitch. But if we're talking showboat pitch, and I, and every year on EA Sports, MLB, I always threw the EFIS. EFIS. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's the fucking breaking ball. Like, when's the last time you've seen guys throw an EFIS pitch? You don't see it very often. Uh, and you, some of them got, and I'm shitting you not for those people listening, few listeners that might not know baseball as well as Kurt and I do. Get on YouTube and just look up an EFIS pitch. Yeah, E U P H U E S or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. An EFIS pitch. You know, some of them some bitches get 36 <laughs> inches of breaks on them. Of course, you know, as you know from create a player and you're in, in right. a NBA. You always put yourself at a 99 overall. Right. So, of course, I'm on the mound wearing my number 19. Every sports game I get, number 19. Respect, because Peyton wore 18 and number 19 because the greatest quarterback to ever play the Johnny game was Johnny U. fucking Unitas. <laughs> so, it don't matter what game I'm playing. I always wear 19 on my jersey. Up there on the mound, throwing an EFIS pitch, and I'm getting 38 inches of break by the time it hits the catcher's <laughs> glove. And these batters on these games, like – a rod and yeah, uh, struggle, don't you? Yeah. Oh man, they just they swing at a pitch that <laughs> it'd be hard to be patient. Holy crap! You know, you go from ninety mile an hour to something. it's like their their Ephus pitches come in 30, somewhere between thirty to fifty, 40, yeah. and 36, 38 inches of break. I also got a thing for the knuckleballer too. R. A. Dickey. Uh, R. A. Dickey revitalized his career in two thousand twelve. Necro, Joe Necro Brothers. Uh, I think that. there's another guy. It wasn't Whitey Ford. I think Whitey threw a knuckleball. It might be Whitey I Ford. Think Whitey I think Whitey did throw a knuckleball. Boy, you're going old school there. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Boston guy. Uh, oh, what's his face? Yeah, I can't take it. Right Anyways. Now. Okay. So, <laughs> do you know who the closer was that year? For The Twins. Aguilera. Aguilera. Yeah. Uh, saved 42 games. Tell everybody what a save is for the few people that listen that might not do our baseball because some of the people don't do a lot of baseball with us. Well, what is essentially a save? A definition of a save. Just layman's terms. Layman's terms. It's uh, getting the last three outs. Uh, So you save the game for your team. It's to save the game for your team if you're up by three runs and less, I think. Or is it four runs now? I think it's still three. Still three runs. Uh, Maybe. It don't qualify as a save if you're ahead four runs. You come and get the final three outs. But and if you have 42 games saved in the regular season, that's a good day at the office. That's a, that's, good, that's a damn good day at the office. That should have been one I put in the opening because that's a good for, good day at the office. Yes. Uh, uh, do you know – would you like to know what Aguilera's ERA was for that 42 save season? I'm guessing it was under two. No, it was two. It wasn't under. It was two, three, five. That's pretty damn good. Carl Willis was their a future pitching coach. Was a solid setup man for Aguilera. And you know what his ERA was? Uh, Two and a half. That's pretty good. The pitching staff was very top-heavy and depended on their three core starters, which was Morris, Tapiani, and Erickson. Uh, but they were good enough to be second. Or, but they were good enough to be second 
an ERA in the American League. And I don't I put that in there and I don't think I followed it up with who was better. Well, and let me look at my notes. Let me scoot in closer here. Maybe who they beat in the ALCS. I don't have it in there, or at least not in this port. But anyway, offense wasn't bad either. They ranked fourth in uh, runs scored. Uh, they led the league in batting average and on-base percentage. Chuck Knobloch, your guy, oh, rookie yeah. of the year, 351 OBP. And he was I mean, one of the faster guys. Yeah, he, he sparked the offense. Old school, old school baseball player, uh, no batting gloves. He was a you know young I mean? kid. Yeah, yeah uh, no batting, this tough nose kid. Uh, I mean. Puckett, Herbick, Shane Mack, and Harper could both get on base. Larkin, uh, three sixty one OBP coming off the bench. Uh, there was nothing early in the season in ninety one to make you kind of think that the Twins were. Gonna be in the World Series uh, as Memorial Day weekend arrived. Two months, three months into the season, they were playing sub five hundred baseball at the time. <laughs> so, uh, and at that time, before the division and league realignments that took place later in the nineties and the early two thousands, uh, and the AL West at the time was pretty competitive. The Rangers were out in front. Uh, the Oakland A's were pretty hot on their heels. The Twins were sixth. Uh, oh, here, I put this in my notes right here. Copy and pasted. Shout out Bleacher Report for this copy and paste right here. Prior to 1994, the AL West also included the Royals, Mariners, Angels, and White Sox, with the ev- winner advancing directly to the ALCS. Uh, but Memorial Day was when things kind of started to turn around for them, Kurt. Uh, they opened a three-game set in Texas by losing to 11, to f- 11 runs to four. Uh, it was at this point the Twins turned it around, and that's when they started to become the team that we remember. Uh, Erickson took the ball Tuesday night, fired eight shutout innings in a 3-0 win. And then in the Wednesday hitting finale, and I'm going to use a term here, and I want you to tell me if I'm right. Shortstop Greg Gagne, light hitting. Yes. Yeah. 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 Great Gore, driving balls, just Great. to to borrow the phrase that you used in the last word. He drove the ball up in the gaps or alleys. The alleys. Yes. Yeah. Uh he took Nolan Ryan deep yeah. in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh he drove in four no, runs. No more for his defense. He was a, uh, of course that's what he wanted up the middle there, but he, he was a light, light hitter. hitter, yes. For sure. Dude, I love talking baseball with oh, you. Oh, you do. I, I could you. not fucking do this show without you. I don't care. I'll be an idiot talking into a mic. At least this time, I'm not the only idiot talking into a mic. You know, you know. Kurt's like hit the loud track. That's right. Uh, okay. Uh, the series win in Texas set the stage for uh, June, where they won 22 of 28 games. And would not only move into first place, but they would lead by as many as four and a half fucking games by the end of June. Uh, then they kind of hit the skids right before the All-Star break. And we're back to a dead even tie with the Rangers. But they had momentum going. I put in my notes here at that time. Coming out of the All-Star break there, Texas lost eight of 11 games to start the second half of the season. Faded quickly. The A's and the Athletics stayed on Minnesota's heels. And then the first weekend of August, the Twins played a couple of key series with the A's. Uh, 
who, for those of you that don't remember, and I was a little feller, uh, at this time in the late 80s, early 90s, the AL West was pretty much the A's division. Yes. Because of the, the Bash, Bash brothers. Jose Canseco, God I love, and Mark who? McGuire. Mark McGuire. They had they had the gauntlet players in it. Ricky Henderson, uh, Dave Henderson. I got some Ricky Henderson information in my notes here. Because if you remember, I told you I kind of covered what was also going on in baseball right, at that time. Right. Ricky Henderson's got some notable news coming up later. Oh, uh, yeah. Great, uh, great ball player. Great ball player. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was kind of the A's division for a long time. Um, Oakland was three games off pace. Chicago was two games out at the time. Uh, Jack Morris took the mound in Friday night's opener, but the Twins offense couldn't get anything going against the reigning Cy Young Award winner the season before, Bob Oh, you're, you're drawing a blank. Yeah, drawing a blank. Bob Welch. Bob Welch, uh, former Dodger. The following afternoon. that. Damn it. Brain the following Gordon. afternoon, Minnesota got into a 5 0 hole. Um, if you peeked ahead, looking ahead to Sunday, Oakland had their clutch ace, Dave Stewart, waiting. The race was ready to get even tighter. It was time for another reversal of fortune. Harper hit a three run homer. Keita stunning seven-game rally that gave Minnesota the victory. And then they came out the next day and jumped Stewart for three runs in the first inning and got some clutch relief work from Willis. And then they took the series with a 6-2 win. Two weeks later, it was the A's and Twins at the Metrodome. Oakland was five games out fighting to hold on while Chicago was still two and a half games back. Um... Do you appreciate all this research? Oh, yeah. Because it takes a while to to look, to Google. Some of it's copy and paste. Some of it's my notes because I don't want to be completely copy and paste. the backbone of the cast, dude. I mean, totally. We've kind of divvied up a certain job here at the podcast. I put Dole, who will be our third anchor, eventually when I get his mic set up and everything, Dole kind of helps promote the podcast a little bit. I do a lot of promotion. I do most of the research because I'm a statin nerd geek. I give Kurt a very simple job. What is your job? I just sit here. (laughs) Come on now. What's your job for the podcast? Uh, Film study. Yeah. Yep. Kurt does a lot. Kurt actually does a little bit of reading. I mean, he reads at the second grade level. But I give Kurt the, the job of film study because that's what he gets most passionate about. And if I can get Kurt to watch film, I can figure in the notes, and then we're golden. Right, right. But uh, so it takes a lot to go through and, and recap an entire season. And uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, I had to go back and watch a few of the games myself. And I had seen these games live already, you know, but uh, 30 years ago. 30 years. You had been 20 years old. Been 20 years old. Married, Married already. Had a kid already. Have your oldest one. Yeah, uh, work seven days a week. Coal mine. mine. Yep. Twelve-hour shifts. I don't miss those down at Lapaka. I tell you. Uh, anyway, so they're in the Metrodome. Friday night's opener was a two-two tie in the ninth with A's left fielder Jose Canseco. I love Jose Canseco. <laughs> he hit a two-run blast. Oakland turned the game over to Hall of Famer closer Eckersley. Dennis. Dennis Eckersley. Yeah. What do we remember from our last episode about Dennis Eckersley? Uh, well, he gave up that big two-run home. Right? Well, it wasn't home. in our – it was in our – yep. 
Yeah. To Kirk Gibson. Kirk Gibson, yeah. Shocked the world, man. <laughs> Minnesota scrapped out two runs to tie the game and won it in 12 innings when rookie of the year Chuck Knobloch doubled and scored. So then we had a Morris Welts rematch on Saturday, and it didn't it didn't start out well as Morris uh, gave up three scores in the first inning. Welch uh, kind of fell apart though. Knobloch had three hits. Harper drove in four runs, and the result was a twelve four fucking rout. Yeah. Then on Sunday, the Twins trailed four to one against Stewart when they unleashed a hellacious comeback. They get two in the seventh, and Oakland went to the bullpen. In the eighth, Harper tripled, started a three-run rally that led to a 6-4 victory. Minnesota last lost Monday's finale, but even into their feet, they showed how hard they were going to be to kill, <laughs> basically. Uh, after trailing 6-0, they made a furious rally before coming up short 8-7. So, uh, The Oakland dynasty at this point, that was started in the mid to late 80s to the early. That was pretty much all but yeah. done for. So Chicago was still within three and a half games, and it was uh, kind of a – they gave the impression we were going to have a hot race to the finish here. Uh, but now it was time for the White Sox to fall apart too. In a schedule against a bunch of mediocre teams, they lost nine straight games. Ouch. And by the time we get to the first of September, last month of the season – Minnesota Twins had an eight-game victory. So, in the final month, they pretty much was in the driver's seat. They put their foot on their gas and never looked back. Uh, let me see if I got anything here about the final season, if I need anything in here. Doo, doo, doo. Uh, here's something of interest. Morris threw a complete six-game hitter, and the 5-0 win ensured at least a tie in Toronto, the Twins lost on Sunday thanks to 26-year-old Seattle Mariners lefty named Randy Johnson. The big, big unit. unit. Wow. We talk about pitchers scary. a lot. Who's one of my yeah, go-to? Randy, yeah, Randy Johnson. I usually say Saberhagen first, yeah. and then I follow it up with Randy Johnson. Oh, scary. You know what my favorite Randy Johnson memory is, and I know you know what I'm thinking. Mm. The bird. Oh, yeah? The yeah, bird. Uh, yeah. It's he freaking, hit that fucking bird and it exploded. Yeah. But, yeah. Something like it just yeah, you guys, it's crazy for all you people out there that are not sensitive about animals dying. Uh, check it out. Get on YouTube. Randy Johnson, the big unit, is one of the hardest throwing pitchers in baseball history. I was such a fan of his when I was a kid. You know this, and I don't remember how old I was. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've seen it happen, not live, but in highlights. Within Dana, days, Dana, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the year, but it, get on there and just Google Randy Johnson Bird. He he's unleashes this hellacious ball off the mound, and a bird flies right, and and all you see is feathers, like the bird. Yeah, it, it just it, it killed the bird, like instantly. You wow, just see it, a cloud of feathers. It, yeah, <laughs> guarantee you that pitch was coming in at over a hundred mile an hour. That's probably going to hit one hundred five, one hundred one on the gun, something like that. It's moving on. Uh, but anyways. Uh, Poor bird. I mean, he's at the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> Minnesota was close to pouring champagne with about a full week to go, though. It was no coincidence. Minnesota was successful in the four-year cycle from 87 to 91. Home field advantage for the postseason in this era was determined by a rotation system. In both 87 and 91, the ALS had home field in both the LCS and the World Series. 
Uh, note, though, in fairness, that while the 87 Twins were a big beneficiary of this home field advantage, the 1991 Minnesota Twins had a superior regular season record to both teams they faced in October. And they really didn't need home field to win the ALCS against Toronto. The team split the first two games in the Metrodome. It was when the series shifted to Canada that the Twins really took over, though. They won all three games in Toronto, including a big late rally to win Game 5 and clinch the pennant. Uh, home field advantage, though, I do believe was a pretty big factor in the World Series with the Braves. The uh, Something I want you to, to think about here, and uh, I think you know where I'm going with this. I told you this at work. This World Series, the home team won every game. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Uh, Minnesota was down three to two in games when the, when they came home for Game Six, but the closing two games on Saturday and Sunday would be as memorable as any finish the World Series has ever seen, which is partially the reason this ranks so high. Uh, so yeah, there's the the uh, the recap here for the '91 Minnesota AL champion. Minnesota Twins. Uh, so now let's talk about my league. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, because I'm Philadelphia Phillies. I'm an I'm an NL league guy. We don't need a DH in our league. That's right. Uh, pitchers bad. Yes. So the 1991 NL champion Atlanta Braves had a last place finish in 1990 but managed to overtake the Los Angeles Dodgers for first place in the National League West, clinching Boo. the division on the next-to-last day of the regular season. Boo. I remember that. I remember that? Remember that? Yes. 20-year-old kid. Bleed Dodger Blue. Yeah. This division title in 1991 would be the first of 14 years of straight division titles by the Braves, which lasted until 2005. Impressive. That is, I will hit the, I will. <laughs> Kurt just leaned up. He's like, yep. yeah, yeah, impressive. Yeah. One of these days, man, we're gonna start videoing these podcasts, putting them on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> hey. The '91 Braves were a franchise. At the time, didn't really have an identity. They lost. Uh, they hadn't been relevant since Joe. Joe, uh, Joe remember who the manager was? Uh, Tory. Joe Tory. That's right. He managed the club until the early '80s. They reached the NLCS in '82, and contending to the final weekend of '83. But the back half of the '80s and the first year of the '90s. Uh, was pretty different. The Braves lost 106 games in 88 and 97 games uh, in each of the next two years. And then midway through the 90 seasons, midway through the 1990 season, which was the the terrible season, uh, Bobby Cox came on as manager. Skipper. Cox had a track record of being able to turn franchises around. Uh, The Toronto Blue Jays in 85 were an expansion team. Uh, and he took, or well, not 85. He took them from an expansion team that won the AL East and then they, in 85, which gave people in Atlanta some, some high hopes there that he could deliver something. Uh, I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. Um, 
if I wouldn't have researched this, then I would have watched this in real time. I don't think I would have seen it coming either. Uh, or see it happen in the first year. Atlanta would become renowned for its great starting pitching throughout the 90s and 2000s. And we can attest to this because we talk about that 90s. And uh, shout out to the top supervisor. Oh. The top supervisor who said some of the best pitching he ever seen was the 90s Braves, which... We talk about you got Glavin, yeah. Smoltz, uh, and Maddox. Uh, Maddox, Avery, Steve Avery, and Avery. So, so here's where let's let's just jump into this. Uh, that all started in '91. A 25 year old lefty named Tom Glavin won 20 games with a 2.55 ERA. He won the Cy Young Award, and that pretty much kicked off what was going to be a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Another man on his way to Cooperstown at the time was 24-year-old. Well, I just kicked a whole fucking mic. Do you hear that? Yeah. <clears throat> I lost a place. 24-year-old John Smoltz, 36 starts, won 14 games, and posted a 3.80 ERA. Fierce competitor on a mound. Steve Avery, not the Steve Avery from Making a Murderer. Little inside <laughs> joke. Free Stephen Avery. He's innocent. Uh Probably shouldn't say that. People might not like that. <laughs> Maybe we edit it out. Maybe we leave it. Anyway, Steve Steve Avery was another Southpaw. Uh, he didn't necessarily have a Hall of Fame career, but in 91, he was pretty he was much solid. As, he was solid, good as yeah. anybody. He had yeah. uh, 18 wins, 3-3-8 ERA. And then they brought in a veteran with some World Series experience, and I'm laughing. I'm so excited to do this. They brought in Charlie. Lee Brandt. <laughs> we did that. Anybody that's just now catching on, when we did the 85 World Series, every time I talked about Charlie Liebrandt, I would look at Kurt and go, Charlie Liebrandt. And it just, we laughed about it for weeks. <laughs> I could have just specifically done this just so you could do the Charlie <laughs> Liebrandt. Uh, but he brought experience. Yes. He'd won the World Series, what, seven, six years prior yeah, or whatever yeah. with uh, Kansas City. City. So, uh, a good fit. The rotation. Liebrandt won 15 games, had a 3.43 ERA, so he's still dominant. Yeah. Uh, the bullpen though didn't have some of the names that would jump out. You. Uh, you had Mike Stanton, yeah. Kent Merker. Yeah. Uh, and I can't even pronounce this guy's name, and I don't even remember hearing it on all the game study I watched this week. But his name was Juan Berengauer. Baron Berengauer. I think or Baron Guerra, something like that. Yeah. Uh they all had sub three ERAs and Cox knew though, Bobby Cox knew how to use them each to their advantage. They rounded out as a staff that finished third in the NL and ERA, so you know Not bad. twins finished second in ERA and the AL. Uh offensively <laughs> though, Atlanta was better. They finished second in the NL and run scored. Uh, and one of the guys that I talk about a lot when we talk about that 90s Brave team, which people, you got to understand how much we talk baseball right, work. We right. talk sports all day long, especially now more since we got a podcast. But one of the guys that we mentioned quite a lot, Mr. Terry Pendleton, he was brought in from St. Louis. He won the MVP. His final numbers was a 363 OBP and a 511 slugging percentage. And, uh, they were good, although MVP was probably pushing, reaching just a little bit. Uh, he yeah. was given credit, though, for providing leadership to the young players around him. 
There were some big-time producers in the outfield. Ron Gann hit 32 yeah. home runs, yeah. drove in 105 runs, uh, scored 101 more. David Justice, which yeah. you talked about he earlier tonight, for you. Yeah. That's exactly what you said. I was he sitting on rake. your couch. Yeah. You could rake. Yeah, good hitter. Uh, his stat line was 377 and 503. Lonnie Smith. A veteran from St. Louis and Kansas City. He played left field. He had a 377 OBP. Jeff, you remember who Jeff? Jeff Friedway? Who? Jeff Friedway? I don't. Fredway? Somebody don't remember. I don't know. That's one I don't remember either. Uh, He hit 320, provided some pop at second base. Oh, Mark Lemke. He might have been. They might have had a. Tandem system. Oh, a platoon in there. Yeah, platoon. That's the word. Tandem tandem backfield and, and uh, football, right. platoon and baseball. Right. Damn it. I knew that. I feel stupid. Good thing we are stupid. Nobody will know a difference. Uh, Atlanta looked better out of the gate than initially what Minnesota did to start the 91 season. But nothing suggested that we were really going to have a historic season. Uh, they were 2019 at Memorial Day weekend and two and a half games back of the L.A. Dodgers in the old NL West, which at that time the division was home to. Do you know? You uh, want me to tell you? Yeah, go ahead. The old NL West at that time was home to the Atlanta Braves, Braves. the Dodgers, Cincinnati Reds, San Francisco Giants, Houston, San Diego Padres, and Jeff Bagwell and the Houston Astros. I love Bagwell. Oh, yeah. Killer We've bees. talked about him oh, before. Yeah. Somewhere I still got his rookie card. Uh, hang on to that. <laughs> For sure. We ought to do an episode on sports cards. That's kind of a dead thing nowadays, but it, you still find some hardcore people. Yeah, there's a few hardcore people out there. But uh, anyways, uh, and like this, like baseball was at the time, the winner went directly to the NLCS, so... Uh, they continued to kind of just dilly dally around to the All Star break at thirty nine and forty. They were hanging around the five hundred mark, and that would be considered a success for this club, given what they had before. Right. If they could just make it, uh, the Braves lost five of seven games to the Dodgers prior to the All Star break. Atlanta was nine and a half back in third place. Trailing the defending World Series champion, who won the World Series in '90? Do you remember Cincinnati Reds? Cincinnati Reds. Who'd they play? Yeah, Oakland A's. Swept them. They did. Do 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 do. Oh no, Kurt! I scrolled too far. <laughs> Kurt always like technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, there you Please go. Uh, but after the All-Star break, things kind of turned around. Braves won 8-10 against the Cubs and Cardinals, while the Dodgers lost 9-11 of on an East Coast trip. That hurt you, didn't it? Oh, yeah. That hurt you. <laughs> For sure. Uh, when <laughs> I, oh, I can kind of remember that year. Uh, I mean, I was thinking, oh, the Dodgers are doing pretty good, you know. It's looking pretty good. And I was saying, East Coast trip. Yeah. That's. You know, some people underestimate that, not just in baseball, but any sport. You take a West Coast team 
three hours behind on West Coast time, and they make a trip for multiple days where they're just staying out and eat. That fucks with them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I have to. Absolutely. I believe that sports is psychological. Yeah. That shit, is, yeah. the time change. Yeah. Anyways, uh, when Labor Day arrived, um, the Braves and Dodgers were in a dead heat with the Reds pretty much pissed the bed. Dodgers started to play better in the early part of September. Atlanta kept rolling. September 13th, the two teams began the first of what would be a two-straight weekend series, and the Braves were a half game in front of your Dodgers. Atlanta was at home for the first series. Glavin on the mound. Pitched well. Game was tied 2-2 in the seventh. But the Braves' ace faltered, ultimately losing 5-2. Smoltz came out on Saturday, gave up a couple of early runs, but he settled in and allowed no more to score. So... Okay, we're back. Beauty of the pause button, man. We just uh, devoured some Taco Bell. Yeah, thanks, man. Hey, no problem. Hit the spot. <laughs> so, we left off talking about Smoltz. Uh, he came out that Saturday, gave up a couple early runs. Then he kind of got settled. Didn't allow any more runs after that. Um, in the the game went to extra innings. They were tied two two in the eleventh. Pendleton hit a double, scored the winning run on a base hit from Grant. Avery pitched the Sunday finale against Ramon Martinez, brother of Hall of Famer Pedro, Philadelphia Phillies, among other teams. Pedro Martinez. Yep. Um, Braves first baseman baseman Sid Bream Three. hit a grand slam in the first inning. Avery went the distance, and Atlanta's lead had nudged out to a game and a half. Perhaps the young kids celebrated a bit early because the four days between the next head-to-head in L.A. didn't go as well. They split four games with mediocre teams in San Francisco and San Diego. Then L.A. ripped off four wins over Cincinnati and Houston. The Braves were now a half game back as the weekend at Dodger Stadium started. Avery took the ball Friday night, picked up where he left off with a complete game, shutout. Gant's 30th home run of the season provided the, the 3-0 win. Charlie Liebrandt. Liebrandt pitched on Saturday and took a 1-0 lead into the 8th. With control of the race, just like right there, Atlanta shit the bed. Pendleton committed an error that led to the tying run in the 8th, and Los Angeles won it in the ninth. A series defined by good pitching continued into Sunday's big finale. Glavin, again, pitched pretty well, but wasn't good enough. He gave up two early runs, and the Braves hitters couldn't hit on Ramon Martinez. The 3-0 loss left them one and a half games back with two weeks to play in the regular season. Uh, They basically, the two teams basically held serve the following week, but there was an important distraction. Atlanta played one game more than Los Angeles and took advantage to take a half-game lead, half-game off the lead, should say. The Braves were within one game the last week of the season. Smoltz opened the closing week with a shutout of Cincinnati, while the Dodgers and Oral fucking Hersizer answered with a win for the Dodgers over San Diego. 
And then on Tuesday, it was Justice's turn to play Hero again as he hit a two-run shot in the ninth inning off the Reds reliever Rob Dibble. Dibble. Part of the Nasty Boys. Wasn't he? Rob Dibble. I think yeah. he was part of the Nasty yeah. Boys squad. Charlton. Yeah. Uh, that delivered a 76 victory. It set the stage for Wednesday when Glavin would win while the Dodgers fell apart in a 9-4 to loss. Both teams took Thursday off. Prepare for the final weekend, dead even heat. Friday night momentum going Atlanta's way. Uh, Avery went eight innings in a home run win, in a home win, excuse me, over Houston. Dodgers lost against San Francisco. Smoltz came out the next day on Saturday, pitched a shutout that clinched at least a season series tie and a potential playoff game on Monday. That would prove to ultimately not be necessary as the Dodgers again lost in San Francisco. And the improbable worst-to-first ride of the 1991 Atlanta Braves was completed. Um, Atlanta went to the NLCS against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, as a notable underdog, surprising yeah, underdog, yeah, uh, things didn't look that great early on. Avery and Smoltz responded with consecutive shutouts uh, of a lineup that included Barry Bonds. Bobby Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. You know what my favorite Bobby Bonilla story is? I forget what day of the year it is, but every day until 2035, since like 2000, whatever it was, the Mets have to pay him like $1.8 million. <laughs> that was like such a bad, bad signing. signing. Yeah, he flopped there too. Yeah. Time. Uh, the Fall Classic was a celebration of worse the first turnarounds. Because the AL champion and the NL champion basically have done the same thing. Both go worst to first. The 1991 World Series is in discussion for best ever played by some as it comes down to Game 7 in the old Metrodome. Um, let me see. Do I got anything else of note here before we uh, move on? Uh no, this I just put this was the first of fourteen straight division titles for the franchise. Impressive. Yeah, and uh, okay, so where are we at? Fifty-eight minutes on the recorder. Let's uh, let's uh, do this. Okay, Kurt, let's plug another official <laughs> official sponsor. Uh. Main Street Designs LLC in Jasper. They've offered to make us a logo. I need to get in touch with them. Uh, it's a small family-owned business. They specialize in labor, labor, laser engraving, direct-to-garment printing. They make vinyl decals, baby blankets, all sorts of personalized stuff for you or your business. Uh, they will make us some shirts eventually. Uh, the review on these guys are pretty good. Yeah, they're really yeah. Good. They're going to need a... A circus tent to make my shirt, but uh, anyways, uh, give them a call, message them on Facebook, Main Street Designs LLC in Jasper. Give them a call, 812 661 7765 or 812 661 7488. Like I said, uh, they got a whole bunch of stuff up on their Facebook page, uh, and it's impressive. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, need to check them guys out. So, how do you like that funky music? I like it funky bass. <laughs> okay, so 
We're almost to meat and taters. Yeah, I, like I should have put that in the opening too, meat and taters, because we say that every. I like meat and taters. I eat anything and don't eat me first. first. That's right. So I'm gonna fire me up a lucky strike. I ought to fucking get a hold of Philip Morris Tobacco Company or oh, it's <laughs> R.J. Reynolds. Because I, I guess Lucky Strikes are my brand now. Five hundred one a pack. I can't really argue with it. Are they full flavored? All oh, their heavies, dude. <laughs> I smoke. I did the whole Marlboro Light thing for years. My dad always had. When I started smoking, and I'm not. I'm not gonna lie about this. I stole cigarettes from my dad. Back then, my dad used to buy cartons of Marlboro Reds. He smoked Marlboro Reds. He smoked soft packs because he had the metal case to fit in his shirt yeah. pocket so they yeah. wouldn't crush. Yeah. So he back then he'd buy cartons and he'd stick them in the freezer. <laughs> so and this was before my dad was a drinker which he kind of is now but it would be hard but eventually over time i could make one pack disappear yeah. like every six months i could <laughs> i'd have to make them last but uh when i had the choice i'd buy marlboro lights and then uh i was at cigarettes one day and uh my dad who said he would never ever pick me up cigarettes or nothing i was like 21 maybe 22 give me a pack of uh reds and I took a hit, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because they were heavies, you know? And then, so for the last 14 years, I've been smoking heavies, which any cigarette's bad for you, yeah. but heavies are real bad. But uh, anyways. Meat and taters. Meat, almost. Almost. What meat. would you call not meat and taters? You'd call them like pre-cooked meat and taters. Yeah. Appetizer. There you go. Would you like some notes and a few things about professional baseball itself in the year of 1991. Yeah. Absolutely. I have some important shit I would like to just to, uh, I think I told you I was going to do this at work, and you were like, well, it kind of sets the tone for stuff. It does, it is. Okay. January 7th, 1991, Pete Rose is released from the Marion Federal Penitentiary. Five months sentence for tax evasion. January 30th. The Atlanta Braves signed a guy to their roster who is my all-time favorite NFL player. Dion. Dion Sanders, Prime making him a two-sport athlete. Fun fact, to the best of my knowledge, Dion Sanders is the only athlete to ever play in both a Super Bowl and a World Series. Impressive. Dion, oh, dude, you can ask anybody that knows me. Dion's primetime. Prime time. Neon yeah, Dion. Right. The reason the number 21 is so important to defensive backs. Because hard to believe if he come up with Falcon. That's where he came Atlanta Falcon. Atlanta Falcon. Then he went and won a championship with... The Cowboys. No. no. Went and won a championship. One-year stint, 94. 49ers. 49ers, okay. Steve Young. Yeah, okay. Then he went to Dallas got his ring there because Dallas won beat, in 92, 93, 95. They beat Pittsburgh in 95. Uh. Did a brief stint with the Redskins and then semi-retired, came back out of retirement, went to play for the Baltimore Ravens, wore number 38 because he was 38 years old at the time. He won a championship there now? I think he did. I think he was part. He, they won. Ravens won the championship 2000? in 2000. I don't know if he was on that team or not. Well, Talk about that down the road. February 4th. This one's important. February 4th, 91. The board of directors in the Hall of Fame vote unanimously to ban Pete Rose from the ballot. Boo. He will only become eligible again if the MLB commissioner reinstates him by December of 2005. 
Boo. Yeah. There is a Pete Rose for the Hall of Fame episode. That's that's in the list. Okay, February 28th. Uh, players win 7 of 17 arbitration cases. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher Doug Drayback. Dave Drayback received a record $3.35 million, the biggest arbitration victory, which uh, that's about $6.5-$7 million in today's money. March 18th, Bo Jackson released by the Kansas City Royals. March 28th, Fernando Valenzuela released by the Dodgers. Um, these are all important. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I'm gonna roll. I'm gonna run through all these if you're cool with it. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. May 1st, 91. Nolan Ryan of the Texas Rangers recorded his seventh no hitter, striking out Roberto Alamar. Alomar. for the final victory. Ricky Henderson of the Oakland Athletics. Here's your news. Records his 939th stolen base, breaking whose record? Lou Brock. Lou Brock. Damn, damn look at the big brain on Kurt. <laughs> yeah. July 6th, uh, the National League announces two expansion franchises for 93, Florida Marlins and the, ooh, you know this. Uh, yeah. Kind Denver. Of, uh, Colorado Rockies. Colorado Rockies. Yeah. Uh, this next one's kind of sad. But we circle back around to it in Game 1 of the World Series. July 7th of 91, outside a restaurant in Arlington, Texas, AL League umpire Steve Palermo is shot and paralyzed from the waist down after trying to stop a woman from being mugged. Uh, They later caught the guy, sentenced him to 75 years in the pen. Um, What else kind of news I got? Uh, July 31st. July 31st. July 31st, two-sport star Deion Sanders helped the Braves win a 6-2 deficit with a three-run homer. Uh, and then the next day, he reported to Atlanta Falcons training camp. Uh, here's another big one for the year. August 14th, Dave Winfield hits his 400th career home run. He was only the 23rd player in Major League history to accomplish that feat. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. Dave Winfield. I like Dave. Winfield. I don't know anybody that says a bad word about Dave Winfield. Good ball player. Um, this one is kind of a. It's a. It's not a long read, but I'm not going to talk this one. I'm going to read this one. I ripped this directly from. I don't remember where the fuck I ripped it from, but it's a direct copy and paste. And I put this in here because it's September. This is the last bit of news for the year. They had a couple others after the season, but this was the last thing I put in there. September 4th in 1991, uh, the MLB removed an asterisk, which is never universally recognized. The Statistical Accuracy Committee decided to put Roger Maris's 61 home run season in 1961 ahead of Babe Ruth's 60 mark in 1927. Regarding the removal of the asterisk, the MLB later pointed out it is an easy job and the asterisk never existed. Maris' record from 62 until 91, is listed separately from Babe Ruth's and is never actually defined. The eight-man panel also redefined what a no-hit game as one in which ends after nine or more innings with one team failing to get a hit, thereby removing 50 games from the list that had previously considered hitless, including Harvey Haddock's impressive 1959 performance, um... 
then there's a whole bunch of other stuff and then we'll just skip that and then i'll get down to this another casualty of this is boston red sox reliever ernie shores 27th straight outs on june 23rd 1917 in a game in which he relieved babe ruth after ruth was ejected for punching an umpire in the face for protesting a walk (laughs) babe ruth punched an umpire in the face in 1917 oh boy Okay, and then I got a little bit more series news, and this was impressive because me and you were talking about this at work Thursday. Cal Ripken Jr. had the best year of his career. He won the MVP for a terrible Baltimore team. Uh, Cecil Fielder was hot on his tail that year, by the way. Uh, What else I got about Cal Ripken? I had something else. Maybe it's down there or somewhere else. But anyways, uh, 91 season was impressive. They had an unusually high number of no-hitters. There were seven no-hitters. The noteworthy ones, uh, Wilson Alvarez threw one for the White Sox in the first start of his career. 262 future starts, he never threw another one. Dennis Martinez threw a perfect game. Um, And Nolan Ryan threw his seventh. So, then uh, right here, and the last thing before we get to some meat and taters, the biggest milestone of the 1991 season, undoubtedly, to me and you, Ricky Henderson, breaking Lou Brock's oh, yeah. all-time stolen base record. Uh, this is pretty impressive because at the time, Henderson was 30, maybe 31 years old, something like that. Uh, he... <laughs> And in something kind of funny, Henderson had kind of declared himself the greatest with Brock standing right next to him, just being an ass. Yeah, uh, Ricky would go on to steal 467 more bases, leading the league twice more, and play for 13 more seasons in the majors. They can laugh all they want about Henderson saying he's the best in front of the guy whose record he broke, but his record's still standing. Yeah. So, okay, we're uh, an hour and ten minutes in. We're doing good on time. You want some meat and taters? Oh, yeah. Me like some meat and taters. Okay. So, let me give you the rundown because you asked me. Here was the starting. Here's some stats and lineups for both teams before we go. Uh, Catcher was Brian Harper. These are regular season stats. He, uh. 137 hits, 10 home runs, 69 RBIs, 311 batting average. Pretty good. First baseman? Ken Herbick. Ken Herbick. Uh, 131 hits, 284. Only 20 uh, dingers. Uh, he knocked in 89 What's RBIs. That? Did he have a. I don't think he played the whole year that year. He played 132 games okay, that season. He, I thought he missed a few games. Second though. base? Chuck Poplar. R- rookie of the year, yeah. Back two eighty one, only had one regular season dinger. It would, and he had, he had 50, he knocked in fifty RBIs though. Uh, another great two strike hitter. I love when you say he was a great third baseman, Mike Pagulero. Uh, one hundred and two hits, two seventy nine, knocked in thirty six RBIs, had six home runs. So second base, Greg Gagne, one hundred eight. 
or shortstop. Yeah. My bad. I said second base. Shortstop. Uh, batting two sixty five, eight home runs, forty two RBIs. Gladden, uh, hundred fourteen hits, two forty seven, six homers, fifty two. My man Kirby Puckett, hundred ninety five hits, <laughs> three nineteen, yeah. knocked in. 89 RBIs, went yard 15 times. Yep. Uh, and then Shane Mack, 137, batting 310, went yard 18 times, uh, 74 RBIs. And then the DH, Chili Davis. Chili Davis, 148, batting 277, yard 29 times, 93 RBIs. So we really didn't have it. Yeah. What is it? Now and and then you know I got a few bench stats here. Uh, I'm only gonna I'm not gonna rattle out all of them, just the impressive ones. Uh, Scott, how did you say Scott's last name? Scott Lesis. Lesis. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. He he had he knocked in several. He knocked in double digit RBIs. Gene Larkin knocked in 19 RBIs, two homers, 286. So. Uh, there's the Ortiz, Paul Sorrento, Carmelo Castillo. Mass, I don't care. Let's get to the pitching. Here's we go. So, Jack Morris was an 18 and 12 record, 343, 163 strikeouts, 246 innings. That's a that's, that's a, a workhorse. That's a workhorse. Yeah, Tapiani. 244 innings, 16 and 9, 299 ERA, 135 set downs. Scott Erickson, uh, 204 innings pitched. So he's top 30. These guys are all 20 and 8 winner, 318 ERA, 108 set downs. Uh, the rest of the two starters, you now Alan Anderson, David West, I ain't really concerned with that. We'll cover it. Uh, Looking at the bullpen, don't really. Um, Aguilera, forty-two saves, like we talked about, two thirty-five ERA, was four and five though. Yeah, sixty-one strikeouts. Guthrie was seven and five, two saves, four thirty-two ERA, seventeen strikeouts, and then Willis, the other big one, he was eight and three. Two saves, two sixty-three ERA, fifty-three set downs. So uh now for the Braves. I guess we'll go through their starting lineup real fast. Catcher was Greg Olson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh 46 runs scored. I don't know why I'm running runs. I didn't do runs with the other one. Fuck that. Anyways, uh, 99 hits, 241 average, went yard six times, 44 RBIs. First baseman, Sid Bream. Sid Bream, yeah. An underrated guy, too. Yeah, definitely. definitely. He started his career as a pirate, didn't he? Uh, It was either the Pirates or... I was thinking it was the Pirates, but yeah, he was an underrated hitter, for sure. Pirates of the Orioles. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Pirates. Had pretty decent pop in his bat. Yes. Anyway, Sid he batting two fifty three, had eleven home runs, forty five RBIs. Uh second base, Jeff Treadway, three twenty. 
Uh, only went yard three times that season. 32 RBIs he knocked in, though. And then the big boy, Terry Pendleton, uh, had 187 sits that, se- that season. 187 hits. You know how many times he stepped up to the plate? It was over 400, wasn't it? 586. Wow. I don't. I didn't include at-bats for anybody, but I had the at-bats for both teams listed. He ended up batting over 300, right? Yeah, 586 up-to-the-plate appearances, 94 runs, 187 hits, averaging 319, 22 yard. 86 RBI and he stole 10 bases. That was that's a, a good fucking year. season. That's a breakout year for him, I think. Basically, do you remember who their shortstop was? Raphael Belliard. Belliard. Uh, he was batting 249. He did not go yard, but he had 27 RBIs and just a defensive wizard. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Lonnie Smith, 275, went yard seven times, 44 RBIs, and then this one. Uh, this one's impressive. This one I highlighted because you talk about Ron Gann all yeah, the time. Yeah. So he stepped up to the plate 561 times. Okay. Had he stepped up to the plate. My notes cut off. He stepped up to the plate 561 times. He had 101 hits. Uh, no, 100. <laughs> 101 runs, 141 hits. I got, sorry, chose my notes around. Uh, Batting 251, went yard 32 times. Yeah, impressive. 105 RBIs. Justice. Great great fastball hitter. He was a great two-seam fastball hitter. (laughs) He was. (laughs) Justice was the right fielder, Justice. He's batting 275, went yard 21 times. Was that Uh, a rookie year, wasn't it? uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Something else coming off the bench. Otis Nixon didn't go yard, but he drove in 26 RBIs and he stole 72 bases that season. Yeah, I remember Otis Nixon. Uh, Mark Lemke. Yeah. You were asking about him. 234 was his average. Went yard twice, 23 RBIs, uh, 63 hits. Uh, Brian Hunter was just about the same. Hunter went yard 12 times, though. Had 50 RBIs. Uh, let's go down to their pitching staff. Oh, just because Deion Sanders is my favorite player and because you ask about Francisco Cabrera. Deion played 54 games, was up to play 110 times, scored 16 runs, had 21 hits, was only batting 191, but he went yard four times. Uh had 13 RBIs and 11 stolen bases. <laughs> Francisco Cabrera batting 242, 23 RBIs, four home runs. And uh they just their their bench was deep. Right. Full of guys that was pretty serviceable. Uh Avery uh 18 and 8, 210 innings pitched. Uh 338 ERA, 137 sit-downs. Glavin, 246 innings pitched. 20 and 11, 255 ERA, 192 set downs. Charlie. Lee Brandt. That might have been the only reason I've done this, just to keep it. Charlie. Lee Brandt. Uh, Charlie threw 229 innings. 15 and 13, though. 349, 129 strikeouts. Uh, John Smoltz, 229. 
innings. 14 13, 380 ERA, uh, 148 strikeouts, and 77 BB. Tell everybody what BB is. Based on both. Based on both. Uh, the only other one that I wrote in there was Armando. Remember Armando? Reynoso. 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 Okay. He's a right-hander. He only played six games. He was uh, two and one. Um, highest ERA on the team though, six point one seven. Mm. Yeah. Uh, do you remember who some of their closers were? I, Our setup man. I. Would have been Kent Merker. Kent Merker's on here. Uh, um, they're arguably they're they're Stanton and yeah, Mike Stanton. Uh, Hard throwing left hander. Yeah, Stanton. All their they all got like two ERAs. Stanton, Juan, Berengauer. Yeah. Kent Merker, Martin Freeman. Um, nothing really to write home about. Uh-uh. They're all throwing good. Oh, all right. That was a lot of information. So, uh, meat and taters time. I had a stretch. I'm checking the recorder. We're all good. If this thing cuts off now, I'd be pissed. <laughs> okay. Uh, the outcome of, of many of these games was. There was a lot of suspense. Oh, yeah. In the most of these games, there was a lot of edge on your seat. Uh, the series deciding seventh game, which we'll get to, was scoreless through nine innings. Okay? Uh, with 69 innings in total, the 91 World Series shares the record for the longest seven-game World Series ever in terms of innings. Um, with 1924... Um, with the 1924 World Series. Now, before we start, I have something I'm going to read just briefly about this to kind of set the tone. Uh, this was an article on ESPN.com released November 19th, 2003. So, fuck, you're looking at almost 20, 18, yeah, 18 years 18 ago. 18 years, yeah. This was written by Jim Cappell. And he's talking about the 91 World Series because I really want to set the tone now that we're getting into meat and taters while we're covering this. So I'm going to read this if you're okay with it. Yeah. Jim Cappell said, In the greatest World Series in history, a future Hall of Famer won game six with an extra inning home run, and I'm not talking about Carlton Fisk. How good was the 1991 World Series? Kirby Puckett pumping his fist as he circled the base after his 11th inning home run off Charlie. Lee Brandt was one of the greatest moments in World Series history, and it wasn't even the most memorable performance of this, of this series. The most memorable performance of the 1991 World Series belongs to Jack Morris, who topped Puckett the next night by pitching a 10-inning 1-0 shutout to win Game 7 a couple miles from his boyhood home. Wow. Manager Tom Kelly planned to take Morris out after the ninth inning, only to have Morris say basically no. Right. And, and not I in those words. Yeah. What the hell? Kelly looked at him and said, it's, go ahead, it's only a game. We'll just try for game eight tomorrow night. He was wrong about that. This wasn't just a ball game. This was history. This was special. This was baseball at its most delicious best. 
capping off a series so good that it should have been played inside Cooperstown instead of inside the Metrodome. The nineteen ninety five World or the nineteen seventy five, excuse me, the nineteen seventy five World Series had the better cast with four future Hall Hall of Famers: Johnny Bench, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez, and Carl Yastrzemski. Plus Pete Rose, but it does not compare to the plot line of 1991, the most improbable script that didn't originate with someone in Hollywood. You want tense? Three games went to extra innings. Yes. Three games ended with the winning run scoring on the final pitch. Four ended with a team scoring the win in its final at-bat. Five games were decided by one run. By the time it ended, no one in Minnesota or Atlanta had any fingernails remaining. <laughs> you want controversy? Ken Herbeck yes. auditioned, and here's where I get my pro wrestling reference in every episode. <laughs> High five. You want controversy? Ken Herbeck auditioned for Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation when he lifted Ron Gant off first base and tagged him out, resulting in cheers in Minnesota and numerous death threats when they arrived in Atlanta. <laughs> You want drama? Kirby Puckett, a Minnesota icon who will be voted into Cooperstown this winter, had a game for the ages in Game 6. He scaled the plexiglass and left center to rob Atlanta of a home run. He drove in two runs, scored another, and stole a base, then hit a home run to win the game in the 11th. Morris returned home at age 37 as a free agent. Won Game 1, left with a lead in Game 4, and stomped to the mound inning after inning to win Game 7. A young John Smoltz and Tom Glavin made their postseason debuts on ways to becoming a part of October as traditional department store Christmas decorations. And best of all, the series didn't involve a single New York team, instead bringing together the previous season's last two place teams the first time even one team had gone from worst to first in baseball's modern league history. Rather than leave fans nationwide hating the winners and thinking their favorite team could never compete against the Yankees' riches, it left fans with the most important feeling of all, hope and cardiac arrest. (laughs) Had the 1991 series been played in New York or Boston or down the block, it would be regarded as the best series of all time, hands down. Instead, Ken Burns devoted nine episodes to his baseball documentary and never mentioned Morris's masterpiece outing. Apparently, either Buck O'Neill wasn't available or there wasn't enough banjo music for Morris's shutout. Prior to the first pitch at Game 7, leadoff hitter Lonnie Smith walked to the plate and shook hands with Minnesota catcher Brian Hopper. More than a sign of friendship, it was an acknowledgement that the two had been part of something bigger than either player. They were part of the best World Series ever played, even if network executives disagreed. So that was a long-winded read, but that kind of sets the tone yeah. for for what we're going to talk about. Club very close series. Yeah. Uh, so are you ready for this? Oh yeah. Are you tired? You good? I'm good. You straight? Yep. Love you, dog. Couldn't do this without you. So here we go. This is why we're here. 1991 World Series. So, game one was played October 19, 1991, at the Metrodome. First pitch thrown out by Steve Palermo to Al Newman, the umpire that had been. Yeah. National anthem sung by the Empress of Soul, Gladys Knight. 55,108 fans in attendance. So, uh, let's see. 
like I said, he got he was attempting to stop a mugging. He was shot. Uh, but anyways, he he walked out on crutches um, to the mound, and after he threw out the first pitch. Uh, Twins Al Newman brought the ball back to Palermo, and the series umpires all jugged out to the mound to, um, you know, thank him and celebrate, check on him. Uh, Minnesota sent their ace, Jack Morris, to the mound for game one. Um, let me put my glasses on so I can time to get serious now. I put this font way too small. <laughs> Okay, um, I lost my, my eyes are Justin. So he went out on the mound for game one. Atlanta's rotation was filled with a lot of young arms, but they're obviously going to go with experience in game one. So they sent Charlie, uh, Charlie Liebrandt to the mound. Uh, in his first season in his hometown, the future Hall of Famer, as I mentioned, he'd won 18 games. Da 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 da. Um, he was the ace for the Detroit Tigers. He won the 84 World Series. Uh, of course, Lee Brent won the uh, 85. 85. God damn, that was a great episode. Great yes. World Series. Oh, fuck it. I can see better with these off. <laughs> All right, Kurt. Um, yeah. So, here we go. So, you got two veterans on the mound for game one. Minnesota scored the first run of the series. In the bottom of the third, with two out, leadoff hitter Gladden come up. Gladden walked and then stole second. Rookie second baseman Chuck Knobloch uh, singled to drive him in, but was caught in a rundown yep. in between first and second, which you watched the clip I sent you. Yeah. 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 Uh, Kelly later said he wanted Knobloch to take the turnaround. First, to draw the throw away from the plate, allow the score to run. The Twins added three more runs in the fifth as Ken Herbeck led off with a double. Uh, Scott Lisa singled. Shortstop Greg Gagne hit a three-run shot. And then Liebert was pulled from the game after a home run, and reliever Jim Clancy allowed Gladden and Knobloch to reach base on an error and a walk. Gladden reached third on a fly ball by my man, Kirby Puckett. For the first out, and after Knobloch stole second, Chili Davis was intentionally walked. Twins catcher Brian Harper lifted a fly ball to the left field that was caught for the second out. Gladden tagged again, tried to score, running over Atlanta catcher Olsen in the process, which if you've not seen that clip, it's awesome. Yeah, hard uh, hit. Olsen held on to the ball, though, for the third out, even though Gladden flipped him so hard that he momentarily... Yeah. Did you see the clip? Yeah, he yeah, was upside yeah, down yeah, on his head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They shook hands. They shook hands after, after, after that. Yeah, good <laughs> hard. His fucking legs are perpendicular. He's straight up in there. <laughs> good, good hard baseball play there. I mean, he's sissies nowadays. Wouldn't oh man. You know. uh, Braves both broke through against Morris in the top of the six as Treadway and Justice reached base with two out. Gant followed with a single that Gladden made an error on, which scored Treadway and left runners at second and third. Runners in scoring position. position. Risp. Yes. Uh, Important stat. Something a lot of people don't even know. Yeah. yeah. Runners in scoring position. Risp. In other words, the men left on base. Yeah. Okay, where the fuck are we at? I made this font way too small here. (laughs) Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, so Morris was in a jam at that point. He got out by striking out Beam to end the inning. The Twins added an insurance run in the bottom of the end as Herbick homered off Clancy. And then after walking the first two batters of the night to lead off the eighth, Morris was pulled for the game in favor of Mark Guthrie, who uh, induced a double play off Terry Pendleton's bat. Guthrie walked Justice. Twins closer Aguilera came into the game and gave up a hit to Gant. The hit drove Lonnie Smith from third, and the run was charged at Morris. It was the last scored run as the Twins won 5-2, to two, Aguilera picking up the four-out save. Four outs. Four outs. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, Lee Brent's poor performance resulted in him being removed from the rotation, although he did pitch in game six, facing just one batter. Uh, during this game, though, not a lot of people know this, uh, Herbick hit a pop-up foul that hit Commissioner Faye Vincent's daughter in the face. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, damn. Probably was not happy about that. Uh, so, I guess I don't need to break down every – or do you want me to break down every game? You want to break down every game or not? Let me know. Because I got the notes in here. That's you know me. I always put shit in because I never know what we're gonna need. I like. I kind of like to run down. So you want me to break down every things, game? How things? Okay. Uh, I kind of paint the picture. I mean, a little bit. Atlanta scored no home runs in game one. Minnesota scored two in the fifth inning and the sixth inning from Gagne and Herbick. Uh, game two took place the next night. October 20th from the Metrodome again. Uh, AL president from 84 to 94, Dr. Bobby Brown, did the first pitch. Country music legend. Colored fellow with the most beautiful voice you've ever Charlie heard. Charlie Pride. Charlie Pride did the national there anthem. You go. 55, almost 56,000 in change there. Uh, Glavin who won the Cy Young Award in 91 for Atlanta. Glavin took the mound in game two against Kevin Tapiani. Uh, Tapiani had the lowest ERA of the Twins rotation, and Glavin led the Braves in wins with 20, so this was sure to be something. Uh, leading off the bottom of the first, Gladden lifted a seemingly routine pop-out towards second base. Yeah. Atlanta fielders Justice and Mark Lemke. Yeah, they, yeah. Do you remember what happened? They, they they ran into each yes. other. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the bell fell out of Lemke's glove. Lemke's glove. Uh, Gladden reached second on a two base error. They walked Knobloch. Gladden introduced Puckett to a ground to third, where Pendleton stepped on the bag to retire Gladden. Threw across to Sid Beam to retire Puckett for the double play. Uh, the next batter Davis. Homered off Glavin, gave the Twins a 2-0 lead. So, righto. Yeah. Braves got a run back at the top of the second when Justice singled and doubled to third by Bream, then scored a sacrifice fly by Hunter. Um, Controversy occurred the next inning. That was when – you remember that? I watched – you watched the same clip I sent, right? It was like an hour and a half fucking video. Uh. Lonnie Smith reached first on an error. Two outs. Gant ripped a single to left. Smith was playing for a record fourth team in the World Series. Uh, 
at time. He tried to beat the throw to third from Gladden. What was it was wild, and it it it, it missed. I yeah, guess yeah. I mean it's, it missed, <laughs> and uh, uh, it I lost my place. It missed. So Smith took third. But Gant was caught between the bases trying to advance the yeah, throw. Yeah. Tapiani backing up the play, fielded Gladden's throw and threw back to first. Gant headed back to the base, standing up, but off balance, and in the process became entangled with Herbick, who continued to apply the tag and could be seen pulling Gant it, off the it, bag. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, pulled him he off, pulled him, off yeah, the bag. Yeah, he claimed to this day they claim he didn't pull him off the bag. Well, he, he used his glove. Right. And uh, you can squeeze your club again. Right. Well, so he clearly had to hold his leg and pulled him off the bag. I wish I could find that clip, but it's it's buried in that video I sent you. But anyway, so he pulls him off the bag. Um, first base umpire, Drew Cobble, in the video that I sent you, he said he was out. Gantz pissed, screaming, first base coach Pat Carrells is over there arguing. <laughs> Nothing's happening. Cobble said in an interview conducted for the home video recap, which is the video we're talking about that I sent you. It's like an hour and a half video. He said that he was clear he was going to be out anyways because his momentum was carrying him off. I call bullshit. Yeah, I do too. Uh, Herbick pulled him off the bag. It's pretty clear. I mean, and I'm pulling for the twins in this one, but... It, it was clear he pulled him Herbert off the, pulled him off off the, the bag. bag. Yeah. And it, it, that kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. So a little more on this. This is where you already get controversy right here. So Gant was not in control of his body, which is what Gobble had said in the video that I seen. He explained, everybody watches the feet on the replays. You need to watch the upper body. He's fallen over, and my judgment is... His momentum after he hit the bag carried him off and on. He was out. There was no way he was going to be safe. Herbert said he fell, they pushed, they went back and forth. This call has since in baseball history been ranked as one of the top ten worst baseball calls by both ESPN, Sports Illustrated, and MLB.com. It was that bad. <laughs> Not Don Dinkinger status? No. But <laughs> No. You're like, it was still bad, though, I mean. Completely uh, obvious. Yeah. Herbick became pretty hated in Atlanta when they went for games three, four, and five. Uh, he received death threats, but uh, he was loved at home. Uh, in 2011, the Minnesota Twins celebrated the 20th anniversary of this by commissioning a bobblehead of Herbick and Grant entangled. Uh and it sold like fucking hotcakes. So. <laughs> All right, let's continue because we still got a lot to get to if we're going to run down every game. The Braves tied the game in the fifth when Olsen doubled and advanced the third on a ground out by Mark Lemke and came on home on a sacrifice fly by Raphael Belliard. Belliard. The game stayed tied in the eighth, and in the top half, Belliard got a leadoff, hit on a punt single, and after a sacrifice... Pendleton, you know, beat an infield hit. Tapiani, though, came back, got Gant on a foul pop-up, and Justice on a fly to end the threat. Kelly remembered seeing a tape of a game that showed Glavin in disbelief that Atlanta was unable to score and felt that Glavin's emotions took over. Immediately in the bottom half, the unheralded Scott Lesis 
drilled Glavin's first pitch in the left field seats for what proved to be the game-winning home run. Both starting pitchers stayed in the game through eighth innings and were quite effective, giving up just five runs combined. Uh, Aguilera earned the save for the Twins, and the series headed to Atlanta for the next three, with Minnesota leading two games to none. So, good shit. Good shit. So, uh, no home runs again for Atlanta in game two. Chili Davis hits one in the first. Scott Lisa's hits one in the eighth. So we go to game three. Two days later at the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. First pitch thrown out from Jimmy Carter to Greg Olson. October 22nd, 1991. 50,000 fans in attendance, so a little bit less. Uh, the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra sang the national anthem. They had an orchestra there. Didn't know that. I don't remember no, that. I didn't know that either. I don't remember that. I got it. Not not supposed to be answering. Am I? Te- are we technically working when we do this? You're not. I got a. I got a. Uh, I got a text message, Kurt. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Go ahead, dude. There we go. Boy, how would you look to see? I have the face for radio, don't oh, I? Yeah. Absolutely. I have the face for radio. Absolutely. Okay, so game three, the series moves to um, Atlanta. This was funny because Tom Kelly was quoted as saying, managing without the designated hitter rule was right up there with rocket science. The overconfident skipper would regret his offhand remark as he demonstrated his lack of both scientific and mathematical skills in Game 3. <laughs> so, Steve Avery's taking the mound. He was the hero in the NLCS. Um, he was a starter for Game 3. Uh, and what is considered to be one of the greatest World Series games ever played, Game 3, the Braves outlasted the Twins in a thrilling 12-inning battle. Uh, Scott Erickson took the mound for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, so that was my opening paragraph or my opening line for that. Now, if I scroll down just a little bit, here we go. In a play reminiscent of Game 2, Dan Gladden led off the game by reaching on a fielding error. He lifted a fly ball toward right center where Justice and Gant both went to catch it. But neither called for the ball and it dropped between them. Gladden reached third on a hit standing up and Chuck Knobloch subsequently flied out, allowing him to score the first run of the game. To end Orley's skin, Avery's, god damn it, I'm tongue tied. And end Avery's scoreless inning streak. Uh, so at this point, the Braves kind of get back in it in the second when Olsen scored on Raphael. Billiard. Billiard single. Justice led off the fourth with his first World Series home run. And that puts the Braid in the lead for the first time in the World Series. They're at a 2-1 lead right now. So and the Tomahawk Chop is going crazy. Oh, I love it. That That is the greatest <laughs> chant in all sports. Oh, oh. That is the greatest chance. You know what? You know what, Kurt? There you go. It's greatest chant in baseball. Hey, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. How do some people find this offensive? But turn it off where people get butt hurt. <laughs> Anyways, so uh in the fifth inning, the Braves came back and scored again when Lonnie Smith homered 
they pulled Scott Erickson after that for or shortly after because he allowed Pendleton Justice to get on base on a walk and an error by Knobloch. Uh, David Weston comes in the game, walked two consecutive batters, okay? So that's forcing a home an unearned run, charge to Erickson, leaving the bases loaded for Terry Leach, who struck out Mark Lemke to end the inning. So with a 4-1 score, the Braves look to close it out. As it turned, game's just getting started. That run resulted in the first inning. The run that... God, I get so excited. (laughs) Need to take a deep breath, right? Sip a little Diet Mountain Dew, my crack. (laughs) I get so excited. We're we're at a minute and 40... An hour and 45 minutes. We're doing all right. We're on game three. Yeah. I lauded, I figured, maybe two and a half hours on this one. Right. Just based... Because I've got to the point now where we've done so many judging by my notes and how much we fuck off which is kind of a lot (laughs) i can kind of judge our time so i'm figuring about another hour 45 minutes or so so depending on how often you want to stop and talk about charlie lee brand once he ain't gonna talk no more he wasn't in the rotation anymore but anyway so the game's just getting started here so after the run that resulted from the first inning misfire between gant and justice Avery had been perfect for five innings, 15 consecutive outs. But then he kind of started to slow down. So here comes my man, my hero as a kid, Kirby Puckett. Kirby homered in the seventh to make it 4-2. One inning after after two twin hits and two other flyouts to the warning track, Atlanta manager Bobby Cox reluctantly sent Avery back out for the eighth inning. The first batter he faced was... Brian Harper. You talk about you've talked about Brian Harper oh, yeah. a little bit. Brian Harper was pinch hitting for replacement catcher Junior Ortiz. Harper never started any games that season when Erickson pitched, as he preferred to pitch to Ortiz. After he pitched on error, Avery went to the showers in favor of Bragg's regular season closer Alejandro Pena. Pena. Oh. They call him. They call him the Halep. The ex Dodger. Yeah, they call him the video I watched. They they call him like the dirty jalapeno, or the hot handed jalapeno or something. Because he he had dynamite fastball. Oh yeah. So anyways, Pena had been thirteen for thirteenth in save opportunities since joining the Braves in a late season trade with the Mets, but he had not pitched pitched since the previous went week before. Chili Davis comes in pinch hinting for Steve Bedrosian. 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 Chili takes advantage of this and hits a home run to tie the game. So the game remains tied, and now we're going into extra innings. And a series of substitutions and switches by both teams turned the game on its ear. Twins manager Tom Kelly pretty much went through the remaining players on his bench by the 11th inning. Oh, this, is, this is so crazy, like this World <laughs> Series. So they entered the 12th. He was down to only three players left, all pitchers. Of those three... Rick Aguilera was the only one who was available to play. The other two were his other starters, Jack Morris and Kevin Tapiani. The top of the 12th began with Mark Wohlers on the mound for the Braves. He retires Randy Bush, flyout. Gladden reached on a single. Knobloch comes in and falls with a ground ball to second. That probably could have been a double play. If you remember watching the video, it probably could have been a double play. But Lemke just... Couldn't get out of his glove. Yeah, yeah. 
So Gladden that happens. That happens from time to time. So so Gladden gets on third on an error, and the go ahead run and scoring position. Braves manager Bobby Cox brings in Kent Merker to pitch. So all this going on, all this going on, Aguilera was warming up in the bullpen on the CBS TV broadcast that showed the clip that the pitcher's spot was due in two batters. Herbick was the batter. Uh, They theorized that if Merker retired Herbick, Cox would elect to walk the on-deck hitter Kirby Puckett. If Knobloch and Gladden were still on the base and forced Kelly to decide to use Aguilera as a pinch hitter for the pitcher, it's crazy. A lot of, you know, cat and mouse. That's what you always say. So... I've only got three more paragraphs. <laughs> game three was a crazy game. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So on the fourth pitch of at bat, um, with Knobloch running to avoid a potential double play, Herbick strikes out looking. So Cox brings in Jim Clancy to pitch to Puckett, and they put him on intentionally to load the bases. With his hand forced, Kelly summoned Aguilera from the bullpen to pinch hit. Aguilera had some previous success as a hitter, and he had come up as an infielder, but he had not had any bats since he had played with the Mets in 89. <laughs> so, on the third pitch of the at-bat, he flied out to deep center field, leaving the bases loaded and the game deadlocked. Kelly would later say in an interview that if the game had gone on longer, since he had used up all his relief pitchers, he would have put left fielder Gladden who had previously made emergency pitching appearances on at least two occasions on the mound and have Aguilera in the outfield. So that's a whole nother fucking issue right there. So here we go. In the bottom of the 12th inning, Aguilera remained in the game to pitch and quickly got the first out on the one pitch. But then Justice comes in and he singles down the right field line. Brian Hunter pops out. Justice still second on an 0-2 pitch to Olsen. With two outs, the first base open, the normally light-hitting Mark Lemke on deck, okay, Aguilera, who's worried about Olsen being a clutch hitter, pitched him very carefully with the stolen base and walked him. Lemke, who had caused a major Twins rally with his fielding error, now entered into, like, World Series hero status by hitting a single to left that enabled Justice to beat the throw home from Gladden. His score gave the Braves a 5-4 win and cut the the lead from two games to one. Yeah, pandemonium. Yeah, pandemonium. The game lasted for a then record four hours and four minutes. So it was later broken in 2005, which will be another World Series we cover sometime. Chicago White Sox. Uh, Yeah. So we go twelve innings. Uh, chili Puckett, Chili Puckett. <laughs> God damn, it. Kirby, Kirby Puckett, Chili Davis both go yard, and David Justice and Lonnie Smith both go yard. So game four the next night. Uh, Braves pitcher from nineteen sixty four to nineteen eighty three, Phil Necro, uh, threw out the first pitch. Travis Tritt, country music singer, yeah. national. I gotta stop kicking the mic. You know, when I'm editing these episodes, and you've you've seen me edit them while I'm at your house sometimes when we're hanging out, and you see the wavelength go through of our yeah. voices, 
And then you see that one really fucked up line that's all over. <laughs> yeah. That's when I kick, I kick the, the table, table and the mic. Yeah. Because <laughs> you see me and you're like, what is that? That's where I kicked the table and the whole mic picked it up. <laughs> so twins go back to Morris on short rest for game four. Atlanta had another great arm, though. Uh, fresh off pitching well in the NLCS. This is where John Smoltz makes his World Series debut on Wednesday night. Uh, and just like the first three games, so we're in game four, twin score first. Second inning, Brian Harper scored on Mike Pacularo. Pacularo's double. The Braves tied in the third with Pendleton, got his first home postseason home run. The Braves appeared to take the lead in the fifth when Lonnie Smith singled and stole second. Pendleton then comes with a deep fly ball to center field. Puckett went, Puckett went back to field it. Lonnie Smith stepped between the bases to see if Puckett had a chance to catch it. He got under the ball, reached up for it. And then Lonnie Smith decides to go back to second to tag up since it appeared Puckett had the ball in his reach. But Kirby misjudged the ball. And it nicked the top of his glove and fell behind him. Smith then took off and tried to score. But with his tagging up, it took him slightly longer to get to home plate than he would have taken if he would have just stood where he was. As a result, the ball reached Harper before Smith got to the plate. And Smith's only choice of action, course of action, I should say, was to decide to try to dislodge the ball from Harper by plowing into him. And that happened... But despite the pretty nat, do you remember watching oh, that clip? Yeah, yeah. Harper held on to the ball the whole time like yeah. a trooper. So uh, that was, you know, recorded the first out. Pendleton on third. Now Morris having walked Ron Gant. David Justice stood in. So Jack Morris goes and throws a pitch that gets past Harper, but he was able to recover and tag Pendleton out to score. The game remained tied through the sixth inning. The top of the seventh, Mike Pagliaro. <laughs> I'm having too much fun with these names. Mike Pagliaro, homer to give the Twins a 2-1 lead. Uh, at that point, with a lead in the bullpen that had allowed only one earned run in the entire postseason, the Twins opted to go for more runs by pinch hitting for Morris and removing him after six innings. He had been effective. He only allowed one run, but there, you know what? He's our ace. we got to protect him. We're going to shut it down. But he, he had a high pitch count. They shut him down. This move kind of backfired as the Braves got the run back in the bottom of the inning when Smith made up for his base running mistake earlier and homered off Twins relievable Carl Willis to tie the game. So we get to the bottom of the ninth, still tied at two runs apiece with one out. Guthrie's pitching. Mark Lemke drills a triple off the left field center wall. Yep. That was a beautiful hit ball, yes, by was. the way. Yes. Did you how, did, how much of that video did you watch? Did you watch it all? Because we had like a week or two to watch it. I didn't end up watching all of it. I watched it's a, bits and pieces of I it. I watched about a solid hour of it. Yeah, I didn't watch the last the half way. hour, but beautiful hit ball. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, light hitting mark. <laughs> you like when I do that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, uh, yeah. Game enters bottom of the night, still tied at two. Um, we talked about that. Lemke, the triple play. With the pitcher spot due up after um, Blouser, Bobby Cox sent Francisco Cabrera to the on-deck circle. Once Blouser was given his intentional walk, 
Tom called back in the dugout, and veteran minor leaguer Jerry Willard was sent in to pinch hit. Willard hit a short fly ball to Shane Mack in right field. Lemke tagged and broke for the plate as soon as Mack caught the ball. Mack's throw beat Lemke to the plate. He slid around Harper. Beautiful slide. Yeah. You seen that? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful slide. Uh, Plate umpire called him safe despite the objection of, you know, everybody. He was safe. No, he was safe, yeah. Tim McCarver explained on the CBS broadcast the specific reason Lemke was called safe. Since the play at the plate was not a force play, Harper needed to tag Lemke with the ball, whether it was in his hand or in his glove. While Harper did have the ball in his possession and made contact with Lemke, he did not do so with his catcher's mitt. The contact was up his arm and elbow, thus Totter ruled that he had missed the tag. It was not uncommon at the time for umpires to call a runner out when the ball beat them to the plate, regardless of the time right. or location right. of the tag, which is true, true. Yeah, especially back in those days. Uh, but plate umpire Terry Tata held to the letter of the law. McCarver later narrated the play as an arm's length and elbows width, the subtle difference between safe and out. The win tied the series at two games apiece and ensured a return home to Minnesota. So, Good shit. Good shit. Mike Pagley. Pagulero. Pagulero. Homeward for Minnesota in the seventh. Pendleton and Smith homeward in the third and the seventh for Atlanta. We still have three more games, son. You good? Oh, yeah. Okay. I want you getting old on me here. Uh, Too late for that. Well, it's only 10 o'clock. That's early for us. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Um... Game five, the last game in Atlanta. Um, Bobby Thompson and Ralph Bronca from the shot, the two people from the shot heard around the world, the Yankees back in the day. Uh, October 24th, 91, Atlanta County Fulton Stadium. Vince Gill, National Anthem. Uh, Game five was pretty... uh, um, Glavin faced off Tapiani, game two rematch. Unlike the previous game, neither pitcher had his best stuff this time around. This one was kind of a, a shit show. Tapiani fell apart in the fourth and Glavin in the sixth. Uh, where their first matchup, the first game was pretty close. Game five would be the biggest offensive outburst of the series for either team. Uh, but despite the score, the game was kept close until after the seventh inning stretch. For three innings, the pitchers switched zeros back and forth with each other. In the fourth, Gant singled to left, and Davis Justice homered off the top of the wall for a 2-0 Braves lead. Sid Bream would follow with a walk, and then Olsen then hit what appeared to be a double play grounder to second, but the ball hit Bream's leg, resulted in Bream being called out for runner interference. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, Marks Olsen safe at first. Mark Lemke. The hero of game three and four drilled another triple that scored Olsen and then scored on a double play by Raphael Billiard. Billiard. At this point, the Braves led 4-0, their biggest lead in any game of the series. And and then here in the fifth inning comes up, Pendleton and Gantt single. Pendleton moves to third. Justice hit into a fielder's choice that scored Pendleton and gave the Browns a 5-0 lead. While Glavin working on a two-hitter, the game seemed to be firmly in 
hand for the Braves, but Glavin's control left him in the sixth inning. He was pulled from the game. Chuck Knobloch reached on a one-out walk, then went to third on a single by Puckett. A walk to Chili Davis loaded the bases, and Glavin all of a sudden couldn't find the striking zone. Uh, he gave up runs. Um, the game entered the seventh. The Braves lead 5-3. to three. Um... I don't really have a whole lot. Uh, excuse me. Both managers empty their bitch benches to give playing time. It sounded like I said bitches, didn't it? God damn it. Maybe part of this just is we might have the face for radio. Maybe we don't have the voice for radio. Our enunciation sucks. It pretty much does, but uh, oh well. I love deep sluts. I mean deep stats. <laughs> God, it's bad. I looked at that. It looks literally it, it, like it, I well, wrote that's sluts. Why, that's why I hesitated before. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. The few sponsors we have are getting pulled now. <laughs> Fuck it. I mean, I'm even gonna edit it out. It's it's humor. It is humor. It was honest. Humor. Both managers emptied their bench. Is. <laughs> It really sounded like I said empty their bitches, didn't it? God damn it. This is why we never get episodes done in a reasonable time, because we just... Okay, that's funny. Oh, God. I need a cigarette. You need a cigarette? Yeah. Both managers emptied their benches. (laughs) Well, because I skipped a couple paragraphs, because I was like, man... I'm thinking to myself, Kurt's probably getting tired of me running down every fucking thing on every game. I mean, uh, not really, because if you didn't know it, if you didn't watch it, or didn't, I mean, you're kind of painting a picture. I mean, well, I mean, the last thing I said was the games entered the seventh with the Braves leading five to three. Then I skipped the next paragraph where the last sentence says the Braves ended the seventh with an eleven to three lead. So I just I just left out how they scored six more. So fuck it, we'll just go back. Minnesota sent David West out to begin the bottom of the seventh. Okay, West had failed to retire a batter in game three, which if you remember, right. they talk about that in the tape. Uh, he faced two batters, giving up two walks. Which, one of these walks did to force a home run. The run was unearned run. They get charged to Erickson. Lonnie Smith hit his third home run for the third consecutive night to give the Braves a 6-3 to three lead. Okay. And then the proverbial floodgates open. Yeah. Okay. Pendleton and Gant walked. Justice singled to score Pendleton. And West was again taken out without retiring a batter. In this game, he was charged with four Earned runs without retiring a batter for an infinite ERA. Oh, boy. Uh, Brian Hunter singled to score Gant and put two on with nobody out and an 8-3 Braves lead. After Olsen popped out, Lemke hit his third triple in his last at four bats, driving home Justice and Hunter and scoring when Raphael Belliard singled to center. The Braves ended the seventh with an 11-3 lead, and the announcers start to talk about the team's chances in game six. <laughs> but there are still two innings left. Dennis 
Dave, Chili Davis playing in this game in right field in place of Mac was 0 for 15. Singled. Wait, Chili Davis? Is that right? I don't know. Singled. He moved on a second on a ground out, scored on Al Newman's triple. In the bottom of the eighth, Pendleton doubled and Gant tripled, scoring Pendleton. Justice grounded out the pitcher, scoring Gant and Hunter, and then ended the Braves' offensive barrage with a home run. Both managers emptied their benches <laughs> to give playing time to non-starters. Randy St. Clair gave up a run when Gladden tripled. The fifth triple of the game, by the way. And scored on Fielder's Choice. That's got to be some sort of record, don't it? Five triples in one game? That's got to be up there. The game ended in a 14-5 Braves route. The only game in this entire World Series that was completely out of reach. The Braves scored just under half their total runs for the series in these eight innings. They now had their first lead in the series game, three games to two. And the marquee will halt the Atlanta Fulton County Stadium at the end of the game. Read three at home and one at the dome. Ugh. So, we're going to go back to Minnesota for uh, games. Yeah, well, before we get there, uh, you know, I'll just, yeah, okay. Fuck it, we're going to get there now. So, game six. First pitch thrown out by Twins outfielder Tony Olivia, uh, former. They had 55,000 people. They had more attendance at the Metrodome than a little bigger stadium. Okay, so to set this, we're game six now. Atlanta's one game away from a title, but that would have to come in the Metrodome, uh, which is hard. Steve Avery matches up with Scott Erickson. Uh,. The top of the first, the Braves got two runners out, but sh- got two runners on, excuse me, but they stranded them. At the bottom of the first, Chuck Knobloch singled with one out, and then Kirby Puckett strode to the plate looking to break out of the slump he'd kind of been in for most of the series. He tripled to left field, scored Knobloch his first big play of the game. After retiring Chili Davis in the second out of the inning, Avery faced Shane Mack, who was also kind of in a cold streak there. Uh, Mac hit a broken bat single to score Kirby Puckett, and Scott Lee's is followed with a single, advancing Mac to third. But Avery escaped further damage by retiring Herbeck to keep the game at two and zero. In the top of the third, the Braves hit Erickson hard, but failed to score. After Terry Pendleton reached with one out, Ron Gant drove a pitch deep into left field. Puckett, giving chase, tracked the ball down, leaped to snare it before it could hit the 13-foot plexiglass barrier. Great catch. Well, One of the most famous uh, catches, catches in baseball yeah, history, absolutely. at least World Series history. Uh, he went a long way to get that ball. Yeah. Uh, Pendleton, who had reached second and was trying to advance the third, was forced to turn around, and he barely beat Puckett's yeah. throw back to first. In the fourth, the Twins appeared ready to increase their lead, putting runners on second and third with one out, but Avery buckled down and retired the side to keep the game close. Then another important moment goes down in the fifth inning when Raphael Belliard kept the Twins from completing a double play with a hellacious slide. Yeah. His hustle enabled Lonnie Smith to reach first. This is important when Pendleton 
golfed Erickson's next pitch into the seats, his second World Series home run. Shout out Terry Pendleton to tie the game at two. With two outs, Justice lifted what appeared to be a go-ahead home run for the Braves to right, but at the last instant, the ball hooked foul by less than a foot. Uh, Yeah. You seen it? Yes. That was awful close. Close. That couldn't have been a foot. Couldn't have been a foot. That's what I wrote in my notes. Couldn't have been a foot. That was was fucking close. It was close, yes. Uh, So, Erickson retired Justice and the Twins. Erickson retired Justice and the Twins came to bat with a score tie. Gladden responded with a walk and a steal a second. He moved a third on Knobloch's line-out drive to right. And scored on Puckett's center fielding sacrifice fly. The Twins led 3-2. to two. Avery would then get relieved after the inning. And the Twins kept their one run lead in the seventh. Mark Lemke singled to center, knocking Erickson out of the game, and went on to score on a wild pitch by reliever Mark Guthrie. After the strikeout, Smith walked and Pendleton reached on an infield error. Gant hit what seemed to be a sure double play ball off Carl Willis. I lost my place. <laughs> Grant hit seemed to be of Carl Wills. The ground ball retired out the jam by striking out Justice to end the inning with the score tied at three. Wilson was charged with a blown save, but he pitched two more scoreless innings, the eighth and the ninth. Atlanta kept the Twins off the scoreboard while left-handed specialist Mike Stanton pitched the seventh and eighth innings and struggling closer Alejandro Jalopena pitched the ninth and tenth innings. The game remained tied at three until the 11th. Cox sent game one starter Charlie Liebrand. to the mound to face Puckett, who recalled telling Davis that he planned to bunt for a base hit, to which Davis responded, bunt my ass, hit it out of the fucking park, and let's go home. Puckett replied he would take a few pitches first at a rare move for him, as he was known to always oh, be yeah. first ball. a murderer. Yeah. yeah. Uh after uncharacteristically taking a strike and two balls from Liebrandt, Puckett launched the next pitch into the left center field seats for the dramatic game-winning home run that tied the series at three games apiece. Joe Buck famously called the home run with the line... I'm sorry, Kurt. John Buck, Joe Buck's father. Right. Joe Buck had that same call, I think, in the 2011 World Series that we talked about. Yeah. This was John Buck, Joe's dad, and I'm going to play it right here. This is what he famously uttered after after this. Let me turn the volume up here. Okay. Shout out Major League Baseball. We're using your clip. Pandemonium. Pandemonium. That's loud as fuck. Wow, that's loud, Kurt. Hey, you got to feel for Charlie Liebrand there a little bit. I you mean, do, don't you? Yeah, I mean, great pitcher. <laughs> he just wasn't great that night. And we'll see you tomorrow night. Ladies, he's, he's not even saying no more. Just, I mean, from that point there. Look at the crowd. Oh, yeah. And disbelief on all the Braves players. 
puck it over defense, Kirby. The <laughs> <laughs> shame he's gone already. Yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Uh, he's supposed to be in the Hall of Fame this year? He yep. went in the Hall of Fame in 20... I think it was 2003. Uh, anyways, that moment is captured in a statue of Puckett just outside Gate 34 at the Twins' new stadium now, Target Field, uh, pumping his fist in the air. Puckett's home run forced Game 7. Uh, which the... Puckett's home run forced the first Game 7 since the 1987 World Series, which was also played at the Metrodome and won by the Twins. Um, so, yeah. So, Pendleton went yard. Puckett went yard in that game. So, here we go. Uh, game 7, October 27th, 1991. Um... 55,118 people in the stadium. And a two-year-old, seven-year-old, sorry, seven-year-old Minnesota girl named Jacqueline Wackez. Jackez? Jackies. Boy, I'm bad at these. Anyways, uh, she sang the national anthem. So game seven, match Detroit native John Smoltz against his hometown hero, Jack Morris, who had been a longtime Tiger standout. <coughs> So, the Braves' 24-year-old prodigy idolized his pitching opponent. Idolized him. The two would come together for one of the most intense battles ever witnessed on a World Series diamond. Both aces were in peak form and held a 0-0 tie going in the eighth. Morris returned to the mound for the third start of the series, while Smoltz made his second for the Braves. Going into this game, this series has been regarded as one of the best ever. Game 7 fully reinforced that point. A symbolic moment for this series occurred on the first at bat when Bra Braves leadoff hitter Lonnie Smith shook hands with Twins catcher Brian Harper just before stepping up to the plate. Yep. Right. This scene is a gesture of respect between the teams had for each other. Although Morris later admitted in the competitive heat of the moment he had not been too happy with his catcher about it. Neither team was able to score early on. The Twins had their first opportunity at the bottom of the third when Gladden doubled and advanced the third on a fly out by Knobloch, but Smoltz struck out Kirby Puckett to end the inning. The Braves put a runner into scoring position with one out in the top of the fifth as Lemke reached third on a sacrifice bunt by Belliard and a bunt single by Smith. Morris got Terry Pendleton to pop out and then struck out Ron Gant to end the threat. Neither team threatened again until the eighth inning. Morris retired the Braves in order in both the sixth and seventh, and Smoltz only allowed a single by Gladden in the bottom of the fifth and walked Puckett the next inning beforehand. Before introducing a double play, excuse me. When Morris and Smoltz both still working on shutouts, the game entered the road half of the eighth with the top of the Atlanta lineup due up. Smith led off the inning with a single. What followed proved to be the first in a costly series of events for the Atlanta Braves. With Pendleton up, manager Bobby Cox called for a hit and run, and Smith took off. Pendleton responded by hitting the deep fly ball into the gap and left on a 1-2 pitch for a double, and with the hit and run called, Smith likely would have scored. However, as he rounded second, Smith stopped running for a brief moment and ended up having to stop at third base. Makes you wonder what would have happened if yeah, he... Right. Okay. Uh, 
The middle of the Twins infield, Knobloch at second, and Gagne at shortstop. Acted like they were going to start a double play, and some thought Smith might have fallen for it. Smith himself later denied this, saying that he had been following the trajectory of the ball and wanted to see if either Puckett or Gladden would catch the ball. To further complicate matters on the pitch before Pendleton's double, Morris got him to swing and miss at a pitch in the dirt. Pendleton contended that he had made contact with the ball and asked home plate umpire John Dinkinger. (laughs) This guy's just everywhere, ain't he? Yeah. 85. That was a bad call in 85. He asked Dinkinger uh, for an appeal. Dinkinger then asked third base umpire Terry Totter to rule. Dinkinger's probably didn't want any more death threats. <laughs> Totter said the ball was tipped foul. While the ball did bounce in the dirt, there was no conclusive replay angle that confirmed the foul tip. Morris contended in 2009 that he had indeed struck Pendleton out and that Dinkinger had made the wrong call. Nonetheless, although the run had not scored, both runners were now in scoring position, and a hit would likely drive them both in and give the Braves the first runs of the game. With the middle of the order looming, nobody out. Morris faced Gant looking for a way out of the jam he now found himself in. He was able to introduce a weak ground out to first, which did not allow either runner to advance and gave Minnesota its first out. The next batter was David Justice, uh, and Tom Kelly emerged from the dugout to talk to Morris. Morris was not pleased to see his manager, thought he was coming from the mound to remove him. Instead, he was there to discuss strategy. So nobody's pulling the kid yet. Or, I shouldn't say kid. Justice was a significant enough power threat that Kelly thought of intentionally walking Justice and pitching instead to Sid Bream who had been struggling throughout the series. Morris agreed with Kelly, and Justice was walked to load the bases for Bream. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah. This proved to be the last in a series of events that ended up costing the Braves as Morris induced the ground ball up the first baseline. First baseman Kent Herbeck threw home to retire Smith, whose mistake had set this whole series in motion. Harper then fired back to Herbeck to retire Bream who had been playing with chronic bad knees. Uh, the rare 3-2-3. Three, three. Yep. Tell everybody what a 3-2-3 three, three is. What double play. Yeah. Uh, first to catcher, back to first. Uh, pretty rare, yes. The Braves did not have a runner reach the base for the remainder of the game. The bottom of the eighth, Bush pinch hit for Ghani to lead off for the Twins, singled off Smoltz and then was removed in favor of the faster Al Newman to pinch run. Smoltz then retired Gladden, but gave up a single to Knobloch, his eighth single of the series. With one out, runners on the corners, Puckett coming to the plate, Cox elected to remove Smoltz from the game. Mike Stanton entered and intentionally walked Puckett to load the bases, an unusual decision. Uh, as you know, managers usually only issue intentional walks when first base is open, right. not in these circumstances where the walk will advance a runner into scoring position. Right. But <coughs> uh, who's coming up to bat? Herbert? Herbert. Yeah, he wanted the lefty lefty yeah. matchup, is what it boiled down to. Herbick, who was normally a power threat, hadn't really hit since game three. And Stanton had struck out three times in a row, a reason the Braves used Stanton, a left-handed specialer. Yeah. Because Stanton had struck Herbeck out three times in a row. This time, 
Stanton got Herbick to hit a relatively soft line drive to Mark Lemke, who stepped on the second to double up. Now block the game, continue with no score. So here we are now. The Braves went down the order in the top of the ninth as Morris retired Hunter, Olsen, and Lemke. The Twins, with a chance to win the game in their final at bat, led off with a Chili Davis single. As Jarvis, after Jarvis Brown come in to run for Davis, Harper attempted to move him over with a bunt down the first baseline. Stanton misstepped, coming to play for the bunt, allowing Harper to reach base without play. So, to make matters worse for Atlanta, Stanton's misstep caused him to strain a muscle in his back. He got pulled from the game. Cox was forced to bring in Alejandro Jalapeno <laughs> to pinch to Shane Mack. Despite his early struggles, Pena induced the ground ball double for Mack to record the first two outs. He then gave Mike Pagliaro an intentional walk and struck out pinch hitter Paul Sorrento for the last out, marking the third time in the series that a game would be decided in extra innings. So... To the top of the tenth. We are, yeah. So refusing to come out of the game, Morris pitched in the top of the tenth. Uh, he successfully rebuffed several attempts by Kelly to remove him during the game and then was supported by his pitching coach. Confronted with Morris' insistence on pitching the tenth, Kelly is reported to have said, Oh, hell, it's only a game. I guess we can try again tomorrow night in game eight. <laughs> So <laughs> that's not much confidence, that, really. I, well, I mean, uh, he's, you know, I'm, I'm sure the pitch count, if I remember right, it was pretty high. Uh, 126 pitches yeah, at the time. Yeah. He, as he had been for most of the night, Morris was effective. He retired Bla- Blouser, Smith, and Pendleton in that order. He threw 126 pitches in the game. Smoltz later said that if he had. Had the experience Morris had at the time, he might have tried to weigh his ar- might have tried to argue his way out of being removed from the game as well when he got in trouble in the eighth. Uh, Pena faced Gladden to start the bottom half of the inning, and the Twins' leadoff hitter lifted a fly ball to left field after break and breaking his bat on impact. The ball landed in front of the charging Hunter for a blue pit. And the ball then took a high bounce that Hunter was unable to field. Center fielder Gant backed up the play and caught the hop, but Gladden dashed to second, beating Gant's throw. Kelly then called for a sacrifice bunt, and Knobloch ex- executed to put the winning run on third with one out. As he had done in the eighth, Bobby Cox then calls for an intentional walk to Kirby Puckett. Herbick, who had not got a hit in his last 16 out yeah. bats, dating back to his single in the eighth inning of game three, was next up. Despite Herbick's 115 World Series average and lack of speed, and even though the Braves had left hender Kent Merker warming up, who had struck out Herbick in similar situations earlier in the series, Warming up in the bullpen, along with right-hander Jim Clancy, Cox decided to call a second consecutive intentional walk, loading the bases to set up a force play at home plate or the possibility of a double play, which would have ended the inning. This left Kelly with a tough decision. Brown, who pinch ran for the designated hitter, Chili Davis, was due up, and he had not recorded a hit in the series. Entering the 10th inning, Kelly had already been used. Kelly had already used four of the seven players on his bench. 
Then in the top half of the inning, he inserted Scott Leishus, normally a third baseman, into the game at shortstop in place of pinch hitter Paul Sorrento. This left Kelly without a with backup catcher Junior Ortiz, whom he would need if the game continued and something happened to Harper and utility man Gene Larkin. Larkin. Since he would not have needed him to play in the field, he would have filled the designated hitter role if the game advanced beyond the 10th. Kelly decided to send Larkin to the plate. On the first pitch, Larkin drove a single into deep left center over the into deep left center over the drawn-in outfield, scoring Gladden with the series-winning run and giving the Twins their second world championship since moving to Minnesota. Morris was the first player to embrace Gladden at the plate, followed by the others. At the same time, Larkin was mobbed at first base. The two jubilant grips eventually merged in the middle of the diamond. The victorious players were soon joined by their families, including Morris's two sons as the Twins players did a victory lap at the Metrodome. And for the first time since 1962, a seven-game World Series ended 1-0. It was the first World Series deciding game to go extra innings since Game 4 of the 39 World Series. This World Series was the first to end with an extra inning Game 7 since 1924. Uh, this game set a World Series record for the longest scoreless tie in Game 7. Only one other World Series game went longer without a run. Game 6 of the 56 World Series, which went to two outs in the bottom of the 10th before the winning run scored. The 91 World Series was the second in five seasons in which the home team won all seven games of the series. The other time this happened, 87, Twins and Cardinals. This was replicated in the 2001 World Series with the Arizona Diamondbacks the Yankees. and the Yankees, which we'll get to one day. So, uh, you doing series. good? Good series, man. Huh? Doing, you doing good? Yeah. You want to uh, do another quick plug? Yeah. We'll start to wrap this up. Yeah. Two and a half hours. So, uh, Nana's Aroma LLC. Uh Check her out on Facebook or at nanasaromas.com. Located in beautiful Palmyra, Indiana, Harrison County. Uh, she does have a store on site, 845 Church Street. Uh, call her to schedule an appointment with her store hours right now due to COVID. Uh, of course, you can buy anything online. She ships all over the U.S. Uh, everything is custom made, including the labels from start to finish. Yeah. I brought our candle over. We it didn't smells, burn it. It smells awesome. Tell everybody what it said. Read, can you read the label? What is it? Blueberry cheesecake. What does it say on there? Does she put a description? It smells like a delicious cheesecake smothered in yummy blueberries. And it it does, doesn't it? it? Oh, yeah. That's our candle, bro. We haven't, we haven't lit it. We, you know what? Let's light that sucker. Light that sucker right now. She kept saying, I appreciate you guys plugging us. Um... I didn't ask her if her web traffic went up since we started plugging it, but she acted like she's... So, I, I don't know. But, uh, as a thank you, she said she was going to send us candles, and I said, no. I said, don't do it. You're small business. I said, let me, you know, buy one, and she insisted, so she was going to send a candle for me and you, and... Um, thanks, Nana. Yeah, thanks, Nana. 
But uh, everything's custom made, even her labels. Everything's done by her, and she does so much more than candles. She does uh, melts, wax warmers, air fresheners, everything you can think of. And the coolest thing about her, I say it every episode, she does all her candles in small batches, small quantities. And then everybody's like, well, why not mass produce? Well, she found out through trial and error she can have a hell of a lot better quality control if she makes small batches. Um, everything's hand-wicked. Uh, she's a real treat. Uh, I've talked to her a lot on Facebook. She's been through the ringer. I hear she's a sweetheart. She's a sweetheart. She, uh, I don't, I don't know if she'll get mad at me for saying this, but she, she's a sweetheart. She lost her husband to COVID in December. So she's went back to work full time. So she still does the candles for extra money. So smells great, by the way, help this woman out give her a little business. I don't know anybody don't like candles. Everybody wants their house to smell good. But uh, that's Nana's Aroma LLC on Facebook. Give her a phone call. 812-972-3670. Again, she ships all over the U.S. I don't know about international shipping, um, which we've only picked up a few streams in Canada. So <laughs> picked up uh, 30 of them in France, or 15 of them in France that one day. I told you. Yeah, that's kind of odd. We wee. Maybe hackers we wee. But yes, check out Nana's Aromas. Dumb candles smell so good, yeah, bro. It does. Um, I have a whole bunch of like World Series stats, like hitting and pitching for both teams. Um, I'm not really gonna go through those. All you should know is I'm just gonna read the totals. As a total, let's see, and it's it's right where my page fucking breaks too. So I had to keep my finger down here and scroll up. Uh, as a total. They were hitting the the uh, World Series champion Twins were hitting two thirty two. Um, how many home runs? Twenty eight eight home runs. Twenty four RBIs. <clears throat> Their pitching statistics as a team. Their ERA for the World Series as a team was a 3-7-4, 67 innings pitched, 39 strikeouts. Uh, they were 4-3, and three, obviously. For the Braves, uh, they hit a 2-53 with 29 home run, 8 home runs, 29 RBIs. Uh, the Braves pitching statistics, uh, they had a 2-89 ERA. So that's kind of odd. Yeah, two eighty nine ERA, forty eight well, strikeouts. One fourteen to five game would probably be the count yeah. for the, the difference there on the ERA. I had sent you a link, uh, as I do. I when we get ready to start researching, I send you a few things to read to keep a mental note of, and then links a video to watch. I'd sent you an article where recorded last year where it ranked like all the. Uh, the pitching of the World Series, and uh, I'm not gonna go through that now because it's just I don't know why I put it in there. Just know it, it ran down the pitching for the Minnesota Twins and each pitcher and how they ranked and all their stuff. Which um, I'm not gonna go through it because a lot of it's gonna be the same shit I read at the beginning of the episode. Uh, you should know that they just you know ranked Jack Morris. First, and then their closer Aguilera second as their the two biggest stars that are pitching. 
with Tapiani and Erickson filling out the other four. And then uh, this is what Kurt was talking about here at the beginning of the series. And I, every time we do a World Series episode, I'm going to record this. Uh, the 2020 COVID era World Series last year, you know, the ESPN did the article where everything ranked, like we were right, talked about. Right. Uh, they they rank every World Series based in four ways: game leverage index, which measures how close the game is on each play, and how likely the next play is to shift the team's chances of winning. A game that's close for nine innings and won by a walk off in the tenth will rate much better in which one team jumps ahead and runs away with it. Championship leverage index. Uh, it's similar to game leverage, except it includes how close the series is itself, meaning a seven-game series will rate much better than a four-game sweep. How memorable the series was. Uh, like Kurt said, the 1988 World Series is not that memorable, or wasn't that close, but it produces instant <clears throat> recall for yeah. one inning alone. Oh, yeah. And then how ignore, how historically significant the event was oh my god that candle smells great (laughs) we should have lit this earlier okay anyways the 1991 twins over the braves in seven games the espn article that ranked all 116 which in the coming months soon to be 117 it ranked all 116 world series this game Rank came in second. The series leverage came in third. Game leverage came in sixth. Overall, it was ranked as the second greatest World Series of all time, falling obviously to 75 Red Sox and Reds. So, okay. So, we got to uh, start wrapping this up. So, uh, I'm going to hit you with a little bit of word association because <laughs> yeah. you like doing this and um, I need a sm- cigarette I'm smoking like a freight train when I'm with you <laughs> so word association the first base scuffle between Herbick and Gant I, unbelievable unbelievable uh, was he falling off the bag no, or did he pick him off he picked him off of the bag okay Chuck Knobloch uh just gritty. Gritty. I like I like I you. love to um Jack Morris. Uh lockdown pitcher, I mean. Okay. Big game. Big big time. The decision to keep Morris in in game seven. Ballsy. Ballsy? Ballsy. Wow. That's a good one. Well, I mean he's hundred and twenty six pitches deep, you know, uh that's a high pitch count. But Kirby Puckett. Awesome center fielder. I mean, God, I love Kirby Puckett. Oh, me too. So, Kirby Puckett's game six winning home run. Electrifying. Electrifying. John Smoltz? Solid. Tom Glavin? Even more solid. Charlie Liebert? Tough luck. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got to feel for him a little bit there, right? Yeah. Steve Avery. Um, young. I mean, he's just young. A young, he's a young uh, he's pretty effective. I got, I got a few more for right. you. Terry Pendleton. Uh, locked down third base. Gene Larkin. 
a hero. Brian Hunter. First thing comes to mind. Decent. Decent. Okay. Yeah. Bobby Cox. Overrated. Ooh. Hot take Hot from take. Kurt. Hot take. Tap uh, the mic. Hot take. Uh, he's a good manager. I, I don't know if he's better than Joe Torrey. But, uh, okay. I got three more. All right. Rick Aguilera. Nailed down. I mean, he just locked down. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Tom Glavin. Did I already ask yeah, Tom yeah, Glavin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then screw it. I got one more. I lost my place. The 1991 World Series in general. How awesome series. Really, uh, edge of your seat. I got one for you. Flip it on me. Ask me. Uh, 1991 World Series. Underappreciated. Yeah. Absolutely, dude. Because you look online, baseball periods all talk about it, but when you hear everyday people talk about it, this isn't a World Series they talk about. No, it's not. Underappreciated. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay. It had everything a series in a series you want. Timely hitting, great pitching, you know, managerial moves. I mean, it. Classic. Fall classic. Fall classic. Well. That concludes that. Uh, to wrap it up, though, um, we're going to plug another sponsor, which we're not used to plugging. And I save this one for last because we got to talk about this one. So, Glary Guitars. Check them out on Facebook or on the internet, internet, internet <laughs> at glarymusic.com. Glary is spelled G L A R R Y. Uh, very, very reasonable and affordable instruments. I bought a GT501 and 502. I say it every episode. I'll say it every episode. Uh, I bought two $80 acoustics apiece that play like and play arguably better than some of their three to $500 oh, yeah. competitors. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I call mine a Canon guitar because of how damn loud it, at, loud it is. I had very little adjustment out of the box, so basically it's almost ready to go. Give them a call at 1-606-404-6286. That's Glary Guitars. You will not be disappointed. Anybody want to start playing a guitar? Good beginner guitar. Good, uh, anybody, yeah. Or a cheap, and I hate to say cheap. I'm not going to say cheap. They want an affordable boot, campfire yeah, guitar. Yeah. Don't. Not a camp wood guitar. <laughs> For all the people that make jokes about a campfire guitar, you play it and then you throw it in the fire. That's no. not a, It's a campfire, not a camp wood guitar. Quality guitar. For affordable price. Right. So we have to talk about... We plug them last because we have reached a point where we have to make an executive decision here. Right. So we talked last week about I'm basically stealing a guitar for them for dollars to donuts yeah so i have not purchased that yet and i haven't yet i told them they would ship the guitar for practically nothing i mean i've only got to pay i've obviously gonna have to pay for it i'm getting a hell of a discount discount. plus chipping i mean i'm 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 basically buying this guitar for well under a hundred dollars um i have not bought it yet they told us that they would ship us one of the discount if we'd plug them on the next episode. I need to get in contact with them. But I had originally told them that we had 
two, possibly three more episodes in the canon first. So I'm going to leave this decision to you. Do I go ahead and order the guitar this week and we start prepping for that? Or do you want to do one more sports issue to give us a little more cushion time to buy the guitar? Uh, let's, let's do the more cushion time. You want one more? Yeah. Uh, well, well, then I need to pause the recorder real fast and go because I forgot to bring our episode list in. So you want to wait another week or so? Yeah. Okay, so... What are we gonna do the week we do that? You want you still want to do the history thing, I, I like, cover Kiss yeah, and play like, the guitars and talk about the yeah for sure. Okay, but because I told them we had two possibly three episodes in the can, and you want to go ahead and finish that out yet and do unless you think well, no, that's fine. Uh, the fuck are we gonna talk about? I've got some ideas. I can run some by you. Look we at are. the list. The list has expanded to 65 episodes now. <laughs> well, run some by me. I mean, I well, one of the things I, I wrote down at work was uh, the top 10, because I like when we do our top 10 list, the top 10 draft busts of all time. That's Ethan just kind of turned his head and looked at us a minute. That's across all sports. I mean, we'll rank them across. It, it, we'll just, you know, the list might have NBA, NFL, but that's, that's a good one. Yeah, top ten draft bus. Uh, I keep going back to this 2013 Heat Spurs NBA Finals. Great final. Yeah. yeah, we could do Magic versus Bird. That's always in the list. Um, I just wrote on this one, busting contracts. I think I just did that as kind of an inside joke, but I know that's important to you because. <laughs> I don't know where I'll start. I think that'd be opinion. We have yet to do a hockey episode. We talked about a minute ago when we had it paused. Uh, and I have, I've only have two hockey things wrote down, which don't mean we have to go with those. It's got 2017, we just talked about while the right, recorder was right. off. My Preds, your pins, you guys cheated to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. And an incredible feat in all sports that's not been duplicated. Four straight world championships when the Islanders won four straight cups. Will be a bunch of foreign names we can't pronounce all that well. Yeah. Um. We just did baseball. I'd hate to do back to back baseball. Yeah. Uh, this one, you know, is my the love in my heart. This one here, it says uh, I just wrote, and and it might not be accurate. We might flip it a little bit, but I wrote the rise of professional wrestling. Uh, we've got like Jack versus Arnie. Uh, I don't know. Was it we we talked about this at work? I don't know how I'd do this one. It was it Phil Jackson or was it the player? Doll, hot take. Was it Phil Jackson or was it the players? Uh, the players. The player. Ooh. A lot of times. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tap the mic for that, Like when that would have been responsible for the success or what? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd say players a lot of times. It's gonna be players. Okay, how about this one? This is an episode me and Kurt were gonna do. And I'm just gonna ask you for a hot take. If it wasn't MJ, then who? You mean uh, this the face of basketball? If it wasn't MJ, then who? Uh, Shaq. The field. The field. Like basically, it was gonna be MJ. So. You see Kurt's face. He's There's really nobody else. 
Uh, he set the bar pretty high. I also had this one. <laughs> I don't even know how the fuck I would do this one, but this one seemed fun. Top 10 worst seasons in sports, which would be like teams like... That's kind of an interesting... Uh, uh, yeah, I'll keep that in there. Keep that one in there? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. What do you, what, what do you want me to... What do you want to do? Do you I, want I, me to pick something? Yeah, do you want to pick something? I'll let you pick. I mean... Well, fuck. I, I'll, I'll give you... I kind of like the... the, the what you just said are the 10 worst teams in sports and, and history. The 10 busts. 10 draft busts. I can think of several busts off the top of my head. Uh, in basketball, you had what? Sam uh, Anthony Sam, Sam Bowie, Bowie. Anthony Brown. Bennett, Kwame Greg Brown. Odin. Who? Who? Kwame Brown. Kwame yeah. Brown. Jimmer Fredette. Jimmer Fredette. That's what I said. He wasn't drafted. Adam Jimmer Fredette. He was, he was maybe drafted, but not super high. It wouldn't okay. have been like a bust. Nah, he was pretty hyped though. Adam Morrison. Yeah. NFL, you got guys like Ryan Leaf. Yeah. I refuse to call Jamarcus Russell a bust. The guy that's six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pounds and could throw a ball downfield so Jamarcus goddamn Russell far. Was the, one of the biggest busts in football Shh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> John Elway said a guy that's six eight, two seventy and can throw a football seventy, eighty yards downfield with the flick of a wrist is not a bust. Well, he played black one. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Should brothels be legal too? Absolutely. <laughs> this is why we never get shit done. <laughs> when Dole gets a mic, podcasts are going to go from two hours to six hours. And the problem is, it'll all be funny as fuck. People can't turn away. You can't stop looking at a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, that, that's... Uh, you go ahead and pick. I mean, I, oh, God. Why do I always have to be the one to pick? Well, I mean... <laughs> What's something we haven't done before? NASCAR. Yeah. Hockey. Soccer. We're never doing, doing soccer. soccer. We're ever. never... Sorry, people. We're never doing soccer. No. That's not the real football. Maybe across the world it is. In America, that's not the real football. <laughs> yeah, uh, no soccer. Yeah, we're not doing soccer. Maybe, Maybe tennis. Yeah, I don't know. Popular, just be, just because. Soccer is the most popular sport in the world. Yeah, nobody likes far. soccer. That's not what I'm told. I mean, soccer literally is the most popular sport. I know, far. but it's being, it's funny just because. Two to one every time is not exciting. One <laughs> zero. Uh, most and, Americans don't like soccer. And honestly... My take on soccer is, if I ran all the way down the field, for nothing, and had to run all the way back, and the goalie kick it down to the other other end, of the, you're, I'm you're, be wa- you're walking off. off. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I mean, yellow card, red card. What the fuck is that? <laughs> well, it's power play and uh, uh, hockey. That's that's different. Yeah. Different. Oh God, fuck it. Okay. It's not different than them cards. Well, it means the exact same thing. Yeah, does that a player have to sit out if he gets the yellow card? Yeah. I thought it was like a free kick or something. Well, the yellow card is a warning. Oh. But they have to play shorthanded sometimes too. I don't know what's called or whatever. But. Well, I mean, in hockey it's called shorthanded. I mean. For, uh. <laughs> well, soccer is definitely more popular than, than hockey. 
Especially when the Not according to the Canadians. <laughs> what the fuck? I, I thought Canada was... God! Canada shouldn't even be its own country. <laughs> Steel Toes and Scoreboards has now gone political. <laughs> Canada shouldn't even be its own country. Uh, what's oh. the matter with Canada, eh? They got, they got great maple syrup. Oh, yeah. Crepes. Syrup. They do crepes. Which crepes Good fishing is, up there, dude. It's what? what? Good fishing up there. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Beautiful Good women up there, fish. eh? I don't know about beautiful, but they're not as whorish up there, I know. <laughs> My fucking God! I got the recorder on. What? How about they're not as whorish up there? They're not. They're more loyal and more uh, more domain, domestic. Oh, oh my God. Case. We don't have yeah. any of those around these parties. No, we don't. Wow. Cut his mic off. He don't even have a mic to cut <laughs> off yet. God, this ain't bonus content yet. You gotta save this shit for the bonus episodes. I just totally lost my fucking track. Okay, I'm going to light a cigarette and uh, pray to God we don't lose any sponsors. And uh, I'm going to pick us a fucking bonus there you or go. Uh, a topic. Oh, yeah, the much man, Randy Savage. Me and Elizabeth, yeah. Elizabeth, I love you. I watched. Uh, they're, they're both gone, aren't they? Yeah. I could talk wrestling for hours, dude. That's my passion. Pro I can't. I am a just like it says in the open. I am a fountain of useless professional wrestling. <laughs> now you see it on hand firsthand yeah. at work. Yeah, it's. it's I pretty, can rattle off dates and it's pretty, com it's pretty comical. I mean, Adam. Just <laughs> do you like, want? Do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so this past week, August. Of 99 so 20 years ago this week whatever 22 years ago Adam comes up to me and he goes hey bud he goes big wrestling day because he likes to pick on me about my wrestling knowledge so Adam, getting off track for a minute Adam goes hey bud 22 years ago today big day in wrestling history I said what what are you talking about he goes oh gosh bud everybody knows this and he rolled his eyes like he's poking fun of me he goes, somebody made a major debut. And I said, this was August, whatever the date was, 99. I said, uh, the only guy that made a debut, I said, Chris Jericho made his debut in WWF. I said, they were Monday Night Raw live, came out in front of the ring, interrupted The Rock. Adam goes, you're so fucking stupid. <laughs> he goes, thousands of people debut in companies. He said, how the fuck are you going to know what guy was who? So I was August of 99. I said, in 99, I said, Austin would have been on top with the title belt. Feuding with Triple H and Mankind, Mick Foley. I said they were making their way towards SummerSlam in 99, held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I said that's where uh, Jesse the Body Ventura would have been the guest ref. Governor Jesse Body Ventura. Adam goes, just shut up. Because <laughs> I can't stop it. It's like word vomit. <laughs> I am a fountain of useless wrestling knowledge. It's, it's... Yeah. The day we cool. do an episode on here about wrestling... It's a day you probably won't get one single word in edgewise. Could you just be sitting here like, oh my God, this is so stupid. <laughs> I got something cool I got to show you. We're supposed to be picking a topic. So, <clears throat> there's a damn good friend. In the pro wrestling world, my Facebook is littered with people that are part of the business. Whether they used to work for the big time 
for Vince and other people, whether they work the independent scene. I'm friends with ring crew guys, announcers, wrestlers, managers, referees. One of the best friends I've ever made through the love of wrestling is a guy that lives in a little town called Winterville, North Carolina. His name's Wes Potter. He's an independent referee, refs under the name Ron Mills. His hero is Ric Flair. Okay? 1983, Starcade. Ric Flair faced Harley Race, the first Starcade, which was kind of like the precursor almost to, because Vince came out with WrestleMania two years later. Starcade was the NWA, WCW's version of WrestleMania. It was always in December. Flair, it was called a Flair for the Gold. It was him and Harley Race in a steel cage for the NWA championship. Flair is always known for his custom beautiful robes. And arguably, Flair's most beautiful robe was this blue and greenish and teal and gold. And, and, and somehow, <clears throat> and I don't know how this is possible. He's never told me a story, but I've been damn good friends with this guy for seven years now. West came into possession and now owns Ric Flair's Starcade 83 robe. And some of the swatches had ended up falling out of the robe. And uh, he ended up emblazing them on a plaque and was selling them for $45. And I got one. And I've told people this story. And they're like, that's bogus bonus bullshit. That's not true. That's fake. Well, then I directed them to an article that was online that was released in the early 20-teens where somebody's like, hey, this guy has possession of Ric Flair's robe. And a funny story, people still didn't believe me. And then uh, earlier this summer, the... TV network A&E started doing a, a program called WWE's Most Wanted Treasures. That robe was on that episode. And in the background, Ric Flair's daughter, Charlotte Flair, her name, real name is Ashley. She goes by Charlotte because the NWA hotbed was in Charlotte. That's where Flair did his biggest business. She goes to West's house. She's wearing her dad's robe. And they're trying to sell it. And knowing West... I was like, this dude's not going to sell the robe. And I tried to get him to tell me about it for weeks, and he wouldn't do it because he signed a, a gag order. He never sold it. But you can see in the background the plaques he had made from the rope. So I'll show you a picture of it sometime. It's cool as shit. I like Ric Flair. Nature we, boy. We just spent like 10 minutes talking about <laughs> wrestling. Fuck it. Let's do a wrestling episode uh, next week. I don't know what we'll even talk about. But I'll be down. I mean, my knowledge... Your knowledge is uh, it where it gets as, good. It's in, it's in the seventies and eighties and early nineties. It goes as far as Brett, Brett Hitman Hart, and Undertaker and Bret Hart were my guys. I mean, Undertaker, I was getting out of it then. Oh man, you gotta see my Facebook. It's littered with Undertaker stuff. Did you know that at one time, part of a storyline, there was two Undertakers? Did not know that. Oh, really? Because here's my here's my uh, profile picture on Facebook. Look, I'll be damned. Look at that. <laughs> He, he took he took fucker, some he? he took some time off in '94. Uh, was healing up a a back injury and was taking spending some time with his family. So they wrote him off TV for eight months. And to bring him back in a storyline, he had completely dyed his hair black because at that point it was kind of brown and red. So that's when he came back and that's when he debuted in the purple and the fake Undertaker that they were wrestling around for weeks at a time was actually a friend of his that wrestled for Jim Cornette, Smoky Mountain, uh, Primetime Brian Lee. Uh, so they actually had a stunt. Yeah, this stunt was a guy. This was it was a storyline. 
I mean, the real Undertaker, Mark Calloway, has always been the Undertaker. But as part of an angle of storyline, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, who originally brought the Undertaker in in Survivor Series 1990, was, uh, you know, he claimed he'd found the Undertaker after he had disappeared and he brought him back. Of course, it was fake as shit. You know, I could tell as a as 94, I was 7. I could tell as a 7-year-old kid because of how much rest. That wasn't the Undertaker. Right. Try be damned, you weren't going to fool me. And then, sure enough, Survivor Series, he came back. And they faced off the Undertaker. Isn't that a cool picture, though? Who, who, I mean, of course, the purple Undertaker. The purple, that's the real Undertaker, yeah. yeah. He won it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks similar, quite a bit similar. Well, fun story. The Undertaker. And here's another picture. This is taken backstage. This this picture didn't get released to the internet till I think about eight years ago. Somebody had it in their personal collection and released it. Here here uh, was taken in the locker room. There's Paul Bearer standing with both Undertakers. The fake one and the the real ones over here on the right. Yeah, yeah, obviously that's Mark Calloway, and then that's the they call There's him the Under di- Faker. There's, There's a, a size, size difference. difference. Yeah. Uh, Mark's. Supposed to be about six ten, almost seven foot. Uh, Brian was probably about six six. His guns yeah. are a little bigger, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, if they would have put elevator, which in the wrestling business they call them elevators in their boots, it was what gives the the monster heels the appearance of being this towering. If uh, they would have put elevators in Brian's boots, it would have really played off pretty well. But you could just see it in the face. They don't look a yeah, fucking thing alive. No, they don't. Nope, not even close. Um, but that's a cool picture, and they. Uh, they had a, a makeup and artist company from California come into all the events and would apply the tattoos on Brian's arms to match the real Undertaker. And, uh, of course, Jerry the King Lawler, for those that don't know, Jerry the King Lawler is a hell of an artist. That's how he got out of Vietnam was going to art school. Really? Yeah. yeah uh, Lawler ended up saying he could do a better job. Lawler hand-drew all the tattoos before every show on the fake Undertaker. To mimic the ones on the real one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. But that's... Uh, see how passionate I get? So you want to talk a little pro wrestling just, next week? Yeah, we can do that. Just uh, turn it on, talk about wrestling, and see what happens? Yeah. Or are we going to cover something specific? I'd say... Just talk about it. Just talk about some wrestling. You know it's going to make me happy because I've been wanting to do well, this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done... I've done a Pittsburgh Steelers episode for yeah. you. I think you could... Oh, yeah. I we'll, we'll, think you could give me one back. We'll do wrestling. Okay. Unless, unless you want to do a specific topic, man. we'll figure that out. We got, we got. See, there, there it goes again. Yeah, we'll we'll do some wrestling. Yeah. Doll, you want in on pro wrestling talk? Uh, I wouldn't have a lot to say on that. I don't believe. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the voice for radio. We got the face. Okay. So, uh, all right, Kurt. Let's wrap this up here. Uh, <clears throat> We got hell off sidetrack there. Yeah, well. You but, know. you know, uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. The uh, Kurt's words were, I don't remember, my word was underappreciated. The yeah. underappreciated. Yeah. And that's, if top 10 World Series, off number two, if, if according to ESPN. That word fits, definitely. Underappreciated. It don't ever get talked about. No. Mark. Peg. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it now. Charlie Lee Brandt. There we go. Oh man, I had a lot of fun. All right, guys. So for, um, so for Kirk Kelly and for uh, Ethan Doyle, our uh, third anchor, 
who eventually will sit at the table when my tight ass decides to buy another mic. Uh, we will catch you guys later. God bless. Yep. God bless.